Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to the Man on the Post Weekend Review Show, or as we're going to start calling it, the VAR Show, because I imagine that's what the majority of this weekend's games are going to be about. Uh, my name's Chris, and joining me again, it's Ali. How are you, sir? I'm very well, sir. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. Now, I was just going to check. Oh, am I still allowed to call you, Ali, or do we have to come up with some code name? No, no, we're all good. We're okay, all good. excellent. Just, we won't mention any I more details. Try to call on referees, that's all. <laughs> You know, it, it, Ali's un, in disguise that much. He's not actually Scottish. He's actually from the West Country. <laughs> I don't think even I can disguise my accent that well. Uh, right, a bumper weekend of Premier League football. We've we've recorded late, so we can squeeze in all of Sunday's drama. Uh, but they all started on Friday night. Now I missed this game because I was an award show. Um, and it seems like I missed one of the best games of football in ages. Uh, Leicester equaling the Premier League record for the biggest win in the Premier League, but also setting the new record for the biggest away Premier League win by uh, thumping my tips for a good season, Southampton, 9-0. Did you see this one, sir? I Well, I, I started watching it in the second half um, after I seen the score at half-time. <laughs> OK, yeah, because <laughs> so Leicester were 5-0 up uh, at half-time, which yeah. I, I also believe is a record for the Premier League as well. So I believe, yeah, I mean, I think there's loads of stats coming out yeah. this weekend about this game, um, but it was it was one of those games that you couldn't enjoy because it was a bit pathetic, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I say... You know, there was loads of goals, but it was like, you know when you play FIFA or a Pro Evo and you're playing, like, you're really good, but you're playing the computer on the lowest level possible, and yeah, you play yeah, all the yeah. guys' stats. So if trying about 3-0... Yeah, you... Um, but I respect Leicester for carrying on and celebrating every goal like they just keep the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, oh, it, it, for that. yeah, it was a, a real statement of intent, I suppose. Uh, I think yeah. I think even Brendan Rodgers said, like, I think you could tell by if you if you if you know Brendan Rodgers, you could kind of tell that he would be the sort of manager who would tell his team to keep going. Like, I think he'd be like the kind of father that would tell his child to keep kicking the kid on the floor uh, in a fight. Um, but yeah, no, he, he came out in the interview afterwards, and he was like, "I we, I told the team to carry on because you know we we want to do well in the league, and and these are the kind of opportunities you have to take to do that." You know, you know, imagine imagine if they somehow get in with a shout to win the title down to goal difference, uh, and then miss out because they went easy on a team that yeah, as you say, basically stopped trying. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a mentality that's missing by a lot of the big clubs and. I suppose they've got a lot more competitions to compete for, mm-hmm. so you can understand, you know, taking the foot off the gas. But I mean, for Leicester, I mean, they, they're not in Europe this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd like to think they'd take a bit, uh, 
take one of the cups, you know, more serious than they usually do. Yeah. Um, so it was good to see them just, you know, as you say, going for going for glory. Yeah, I say they were three 0 up within twenty minutes, which left Southampton fans uh, desperately searching for something better to do on their Friday evening. Uh, I believe a large quantity of fans actually left St Mary's uh, after after twenty minutes. Um, but but the, I think the most notable thing about this game to start with is it was the first time that VAR had retrospectively uh, dismissed a player. Uh, so Ryan Bertrand was sent off for a foul in the build up to Ben Chilwell's uh, opener. Um, but it was the it was Mike Dean, I believe, was the uh, VAR official. He made the decision. He didn't uh, ask the on-field referee to consider it and have a look at the monitor because obviously we've discovered this weekend that those monitors don't work. Uh, it seems. Uh, but yeah, the first player to be sent off by VAR. Yeah, I mean, rightly so. I think. Oh yeah, no argue, no argument whatsoever. It was a terrible tackle. For all the, the criticism we can have lamped at VAR and all that, I think this was the. This was a real good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very bad decision. I mean, the fact that you try to argue it mm-hmm. was a bit silly. But again, I mean, it goes back to the one thing I'll, I, I will comment. I still believe we really need to be seeing referees looking at it because ultimately what you want is the referee on the pitch mm-hmm. having final say. And I think we discussed it last week, Chris, about giving them more information. Yeah, it's not about It's not about them making mistakes. It's about having more information to do the job mm-hmm. that they're doing. Yeah, I say my understanding uh, was, and I think I've, I've heard someone else talking about it this weekend, is that the the monitor is there for if uh, if the referee makes a decision and then the, it goes to the uh, goes to Stockley Park and Stockley Park come back with another decision. The only on on pitch referee can still have a look at the monitor and make his decision. If, right, because uh, uh, that's my understanding. Like, so he, can, they, because what we saw during the World Cup was a lot of, oh, you might want to take a look at this. And I understand that's what's happening. Like the, I think in the MLS they stop games a lot. The referee will run up and have a look at, uh, have a look at the screen. And sometimes they change their decision, and sometimes they don't. But in this one, it it, it does seem like two different people are refereeing the game. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, it, I I didn't realise that uh, the referee on the pitch. Hadn't made the final decision with this one. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, that would. I think that I think that's right. I mean, I just say we always compare it to rugby. They have the tried and tested method, you know, of VR in a way, and I think the communication is key. Mm-hmm. So whether they're just, you know, you can only assume they're talking to each other this whole time. Yeah, um, and then they've just gone by that because if he's not seen it, it would be like he's taking advice. Like a referee, if he hasn't seen an incident, mm-hmm. but his assistant or the fourth official has seen something, yeah. they are more they are more than within their right to make the decision, mm-hmm. as in towards a red card, because that wasn't you know nothing was going to affect the gameplay there, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously that official then make the report for that decision. So I can only assume that they've, they've relied on the VAR referee doing it the same way as like myself or or any referees that that would would just rely on their assistant. Yeah, but you know, but go on the advice. but with the assistant, there's like a consultation, isn't there? You know, you you see the referee go over to his assistant, they'll discuss yeah. it, and you you usually see them. You can usually tell the conversation, but oh, I think you've missed this. This is what's happened. There doesn't seem to be, from what I've seen from VAR, there doesn't seem to be any back and forth. You just see them, they put their finger to their ear, and it sounds like they're being told there's a check in place, and then next thing you know. 
they're obviously not communicating back with Stockley Park in in a in a conversational manner because you're constantly seeing them telling players to go away while it's being checked and whatever. So it does look like they're literally just waiting for an instruction to come through. And as you say, there's none. Uh, there's none of this. Oh, this is what it looks like has happened to us. Like, we'll, we'll come on to the Arsenal game in a bit, but the referees made one decision, and then Stockley Park have made another. And in that instance, my understanding is that the referee is within his rights to go away and look at it, and and then and then make it an informed decision. But but that's not what's happening. It generally looks to me like decisions are being made by the VAR referee, and they're going, "This is what's happened. Blow your whistle." Yeah, I'd be disappointed if that's the the method behind it. But again, yeah. until I suppose until I think we're going to have to go through a season of this, really, Chris. Mm-hmm. Until you know, then they start ironing out kinks of it or start tweaking it. There, and then I just wonder if they're going to try and let the whole season play out, and then maybe relook at how they want to go ahead. Yeah, maybe. Um, I said I. I know. I think I've said a few times on the show, and I think we mentioned it last week that I. I expected at some point the VAR officials and the, the PGMO OGL or whatever it's called uh, to get together and be like, "Look, this is what's happening so far," and just have like an ongoing review. And I believe that is something that has happened in the last week or so, uh, because I believe they've refere- they've refereed a hundred games through VAR now in the Premier League. Uh, I understand that they have, have come out and said that admitted that some errors have been made in regard to some red cards that probably should have been given and some fouls that some decisions that should have gone opposite ways and it 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 was uh, it's been talked about that they've you know they've just had like an informal discussion of how they think it's going and what's worked and what hasn't worked and you tend to believe that judging by this weekend because i think last weekend we discussed that up into up Take away Friday, so up until Friday, say Friday afternoon, um, no red cards have been given by VAR and no penalty decisions have been overruled by VAR. And we discussed that last weekend, and I understand it was discussed on Match of the Day as well. And then this weekend, it's the exact opposite. I think there's been at least four or five penalties awarded by VAR this weekend and the first red card given. So I'm hoping they're not reacting because of all the the outcry that VR has had in recent weeks. And I'm I'm hoping it is more of a, it's evolving throughout the season. Um, but I agree what you say. I think it would be better to just have the season, let the season get out of the way, let it be what it is. Because if you start tinkering mid-season to a dramatic effect, people are going to notice. And then, yeah, and then come away with maybe a better product next year. But whether they will or not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the VR ones, I think it's just hard. Mm-hmm. It's first season. I mean, it was never going to please everyone, you know. But there was so many like opponents to having VAR in the league at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, thought, I thought VAR. I was talking about like it's a person now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's an entity, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I, I thought it was very good this weekend on the whole. Um, as you say, compared to what we discussed last week. Okay. Um, so I mean, we can only see going forward. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it's it's hard not to get frustrated when it involves your team or just a, a game that we love, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, I just, yeah, I just think, give it a year. I mean, if we're still having the same issues with it next year and you've got the same frustrations, I think then I can understand, like, you know, being more critical of it. Yeah. But I think until then, I think we kind of just need to... 
go with it and yeah. see, see how we move on. Basically. Yeah, it, it, it's mainly frustrating, especially in this instance. Like this was one of the best games of football in in years. Um, like goals wise and whatever and the first thing we we're talking about is one incident in the game now obviously there's other games we're going to talk about later on that where there's been multiple VAR instances but it it, it still seem, does seem to overshadow the, shadow the football uh, so we'll come away from it for a while so yeah this is just, say, well, hold on hold on just quickly going back to the, 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 the you know the Leicester incident though yeah can you I mean that's that's 1-0 mm-hmm. that system isn't given mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't think any of us noticed how bad it was at the time. Um, yeah, a lot of people then, didn't didn't even notice it. If Hampton go on and win that game, we are Ryan Bertrand winner. Oh no, no, I can, I, I, I get it. I'm, I, 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 I believe it was it was the correct decision. Oh, no, no, I'm not disputing that. But you know, like we're then like we're saying that like, obviously that's the talking point. But the talking point would then be the referee's negligence mm-hmm. to not seeing it, and then that would be all the media would be talking about then. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's just. It's kind of like a no-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, fair point. I get it. Some of the yeah. we'll go on and talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm still seeing people. I mean, the one in the, the Liverpool game, it wasn't VAR, but um, you know, people people just never be 100 percent happy. Yeah, uh, definitely. We've we spoke about that for about 10 minutes now in such a in a nine-nil game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, so Southampton had the worst away record going in. Obviously, that continued. Uh, interestingly, this was the third meeting between these two clubs in a row where Southampton received a red card. So even if Bertrand hadn't been sent off, there was definitely one coming somewhere. Um, although the other two occasions, it finished 2-1 uh, to either team. So usually, it, I think it's been 2-1 to the home team in both of the games, I believe, up until this point. But that's gone. Uh, yeah. It was the second time that two players have scored a hat trick in the same game. Any guesses to who the last team to do that were? It must be the other nine nil game, surely. No, uh, no, because nope. nope. no, only two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still, we got two each. It was in two thousand and three. I'm going to say because you know this, it's got to be an Arsenal game. It was, it was an Arsenal game. Uh, in yeah, that, in that yeah. game, I won't ask you to guess who scored the hat trick because yeah. I don't think you'll guess. Uh, it was in 2003. I forgot to make a note of who it was against. Uh, strangely, World I, I, I think it was, was it against Portsmouth, maybe. I don't remember. It might have been Wigan or something like that. Uh, but uh, Robert Perez scored a hat trick, and Jermaine Pennant also scored a hat trick. Oh no! Tell a lie. Tell a lie. I did write down who it was because it was also against Southampton. I've just oh. rem- yeah, I remembered as soon as I said Jermaine Pennant because I remember Joe pa- Jermaine Pennant scored a hat trick for us against Southampton, so it was that game. Yeah, so yeah, Southampton have a, have a, a record f- for that. Uh, Leicester, interestingly enough, in 39 minutes at St Mary's, they had scored more goals at St Mary's this season than Southampton had. <laughs> oh, wow. Obviously, by the end of 90 minutes, they'd almost scored double the amount that, uh, <laughs> that Southampton had as well. Uh, but yeah, I say Perez got free. Her, his last hat trick was also against Southampton, uh, so some really unwanted records for them. Jamie Vardy continued his fine form by scoring. Uh, ben Chilwell scored the opener. Yuri Tillman scored, and James Madison scored yet another free kick for for Leicester. Uh, so yeah, Leicester looking like the most attacking team in, in the in football at the moment. Um, but yeah, can Southampton come back from this? That's the kind of result that even at this stage can have a dramatic impact on your season, isn't it? I think their next two games are Man City back to back as well. Oh God! Cup and league. Wow. Um, so it's not. Um, I mean, you'd Hasselhutten, um I mean, you'd imagine he's probably favourite for the sack. 
really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there's, a, there's an international break coming up as well, isn't there? As we discussed last week. And it's not so week, much so. the result, it was more of a manner. I mean, it, t- there was only one player, you know, they lost. Mm-hmm. But you'd have honestly thought it was like Leicester's first team against an under nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, they're not going to get rid of him over the next couple of weeks because you don't want a new manager coming in to play City. So, I mean, he's got... I mean, he's played Man City twice, and I can't believe I'm going to say that. But you know, he's got the chance to try and you know prove that that was just a a one-off, and they're still fighting the team, and there's still that mm-hmm. you know belief in them. So I mean, but, I mean, I don't envy him in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. So you you often see teams go down to ten men, uh, and and become a little bit more resilient if you know what I mean they kind of yeah. become a bit more compact or whatever but yeah they they Southampton just absolutely capitulated it it, it was it was sorry I, I know a lot of people who watch the game live it said it was like watching an animal just die <laughs> you know it was yeah horrendous um but yeah I say all credit to Leicester they've they've been fantastic this season and that's a, that is a result that really does set down a marker. Uh, on to Saturday's games, then. We won't miss them out this week. It's uh, Manchester City, who we were just talking about. Uh, they entertained Villa at the Etihad on uh, in the early kickoff. Uh, John Stone started at centre-back, so Pep Guardiola actually remembered he has some at the club. Uh, probably just as well he brought him back in, because in this game, Fernandinho was actually sent off uh, late on, so he'll miss their next game. So Southampton might have a chance. Um but yeah, if Man City went away three nil winners, although Villa were really impressive in the first half in this game, it was nil nil at half time. Uh, although that lasted about twenty one seconds into the second half uh, when Raheem Sterling opened the scoring. Um, yeah, re- really good game. Uh, Aguero again on the bench. Not sure what's going on there. Uh, maybe he, if he wants to come to Arsenal, um, you know, come sit on our bench as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, one thing I thought was interesting a bit, so obviously Sterling opened the scoring after 21 seconds after uh, um, Man City had failed to break Villa down in the first half. Uh, their first goal came from literally Route 1 football. Edison hoofing the ball upfield, flicked on by Jesus uh, and Sterling running in to score, which is something you don't see very often from Man City. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Gundogan. With, with, the, with the other. Uh, VAR played a part in this game as well. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's uh, goal was initially reviewed because it was believed that David Silver had got a touch which would have made uh, Raheem Sterling offside at the time. Uh, but eventually that was uh, overruled and the goal was given. Um, but yeah, I say Villa were really good in the first half. Do you see much of it though? Just the, just the highlights. And I, and I believe that goal was also then later awarded by the goals panel to David Silver. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because initially they gave it to De Bruyne. David Silva um, yes. celebrated it. Then they said that they'd given it to De Bruyne. Ah, okay. Because, and then, and then yeah. they've changed their mind. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, um, but this wasn't until obviously after the game. You'd think they'd keep that quiet, wouldn't they? That would obviously have affected the on-field decision. So well, you, think, you think they'd I just mean, not say anything about it? Just like, yeah. Oh well, well. Uh, I mean, I suppose the the dubious what's the, the goals panel, the Premier mm-hmm. League goals panel. That's who awards them. I mean, they really have no say in obviously the laws of the game. So mm-hmm. they, it's up to them if they decide who they're giving it to. But uh, I thought that was a bit of a, a strange one. But it was, a, as you say, it was a really entertaining game, and I've been mm-hmm. impressed with Villa all season. Yeah, um, like the, I like the midfield. I thought they were quite unlucky in a couple of couple of occasions, um, and they were even trying to break down Man City, as you say, when. Ederson played that hundred yard lob up the park. Yeah, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. Ed- Edison again had a fantastic game as well. You know, he he's made some. He, he doesn't do much being Man City's goalkeeper, I suppose. Uh, but I, I think like the last couple of weeks, he's been responsible for keeping the mean games with some great saves. And so it was the same same in this game. He made, you know, he made one uh, particularly good effort from John McGinn, I think it was. Uh, but again, Pep Guardiola was not happy at full time. Sees his team come away three 0 winners, which I believe he had the same thing when they played Crystal Palace. Uh, the other week, he, he he wasn't he wasn't happy with the result there either. Um, I think it shows how demanding he is of his teams. Then, in that instance, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely is, and and I think that they're having to be that relentless as well, mm-hmm. due to you know due to Liverpool who are not playing well, but keeping on top of them this season. Again, you know, it's just so after last season, he, he maybe fought you know, Liverpool would drop off or, you know, other teams would be up there and I think he's, he's obviously got frustrated with a couple of results earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe just taking it, I haven't said taking its toll, but I think it's just, it must be frustrating for him, you know, when he's hoping for more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on to the rest of the three o'clock. So there weren't many, as it was a European week. Uh, we'll get we'll get some of the little ones out of the way quickly. Uh, no disrespect here to Watford or Bournemouth, but there's absolutely nothing to talk about in this game, apart from the fact that Watford are the only team in England in all four major divisions still without a win. Uh, and yeah, this this was a, a nil nil draw that was a typical nil nil draw. Very few chances between both teams. Um, so there's not really much to say unless you've got anything to say about it. Even on match of the day, the highlights were boring. I um, I was watching all the highlights today just to give myself a refresh mm-hmm. and write some notes down. And I end up asking myself who Watford played because I didn't even watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, to be fair, you could have watched it and not noticed. I think I think yeah. I, I think Philip Billing had one attempt on goal, and that's the only thing of note I saw. But apart from that. A very, a very, very poor game. Uh, what West Ham entertained Sheffield United, who have the joint best defence in the Premier League after their win at Arsenal in the week. Great. Um, uh, although West Ham did everything they can to assist that by bringing in uh, Robert Snodgrass and Zabaleta uh, to what West Ham I've seen. West Ham fans online I've seen say significantly weaken their team. Although Snodgrass did score West Ham's opener, uh, but uh, Mousset. Considered, con- continued his scoring form since leaving Bournemouth um, and got Sheffield United back in it. And they are st- unbeaten away in the Premier League still. Um, Chris Wilder actually looked like he was pretty happy with this result. They've had a pretty good week, though, Sheffield United. They, they were pretty good against Arsenal, like, although like, I think I could have put a couple of lads together to defend <laughs> against Arsenal on Monday because yeah. absolutely no kill- cut, killing cutting edge whatsoever uh, the only interesting thing really I noticed in this game and from looking at my Twitter uh, on, on Saturday was the decision to take Felipe Anderson off and replace him with Lanzini when Anderson quite possibly looked like their most attacking outlet in that game uh, I think as always isn't he he mm-hmm. seems to be that player of the season I mean my biggest takeaway from this game was um, Robert Snodgrass was still a footballer and yeah he doesn't play very often now, does he no, and what was the West Ham goalkeeper doing for the for the goal? Mm-hmm. It, the ball seemed to travel about half a mile an hour, um, yet still rolled in the bottom corner. Um, it, it just seemed a very strange goal. Yeah, uh, weirdly, West Ham don't haven't won in October since twenty sixteen. Yeah, it's like that's just one of those weird facts in there. Just just don't <laughs> just don't win in October. Um, 
But yeah, so West Ham, West Ham have been going all right recently. They've had a few iffy results here and there, but I've got to say, like I, I've wrote Sheffield United, I wrote Sheffield United off for this season. They're not a club I'm particularly fond of, and whatever. But defensively, they they have been really impressive, and it's showing. They've they've got the joint best record in the league with Liverpool at the moment, you know. And and this is a Liverpool team that you know. We're, Heads and shoulders clear at the top of the table, so you know you've got you've got to put it off. You know, put your hat off to Chris Wilder. He's got them very well drilled, especially at the back. You know, they're not the most entertaining team in the world to watch, but it seems to be working for them. And dare I say it, they they do look like a team who could, if they can keep this up, and 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 not uh, have fitness issues later on in the season, that they could stay in the league this year. Yeah, I think I think a lot of criticism gets aimed at teams like Sheffield United and, and even Burnley's of the time. But I mean, with the, res- the resources they're working with, I think they're, they're always very organised, very structured teams, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite easy to criticise them because they're not entertaining, especially when you're a fan of a club who who plays such expansive football, mm-hmm. you know, at times, and we're entertaining. And I mean, that, a lot of these fans for these clubs who. And I, I mean, I don't know what they were like playing in like League One and Championship level, but I'd imagine they were probably a bit more entertaining. Yeah, I under, my, my, my yeah, my impression was they were one of the more entertaining teams to watch in the Championship last season, which I find hard to believe because I think Sheffield United will always have that image to a certain a lot yeah. of fans, if you know what I mean. But they they they've never struck me as an entertaining team, but very well drilled though, which is which is weird. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it's commendable in a way. I mean, yeah, especially yeah. when when you look at, we, I mean, we'll come on to Arsenal's defence um, later. You know, when we we're talking about, you're talking about multi-million pound, you know, players and wages and managers, and then you're looking at the Sheffield United ones and how the, the structure and the the solidarity can be so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't just be because of the attacking tend to play. You know, the we're, I mean, we're all taught at, the, at a very young level that defending, that's where you should always start from. You know, that's the, the basis, what you're building from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to be respected. I mean, just looking at, like, the, the Mourinho and Conte's Chelsea teams, you know, just very solid, very, and went from there. Even Arsenal, actually, Arsenal in the, in the 90s, which, I mean, you'll be more than... You know, accustomed to. Yeah, so it, it 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 it's strange because teams like Sheffield United, the way they defend, because they are, it, it's not always last ditch defending, but they are, you know, throwing themselves in the way. But they never look desperate when they're defending. But they're generally the sort of team that when you're playing against, like what I say, obviously I watched the Arsenal game against them on Monday, uh, and I know that's not the game we're talking about here, but. Even against West Ham, it was the same. The sort of team you look at them, and you you know they're doing this in the first twenty, thirty, forty minutes of the game, and you think if we keep at this for ninety minutes, we'll get a result here. You know, sometimes when you can feel that the result will come and yeah. stuff like, that, you think, oh, they're gonna tire, and you see it with newly promoted teams like you think they're gonna tire. Um, the pace of the game will just their fitness will drop, and they don't don't have that that they are resolute right until the end I think it's the opposite problem to a club like Newcastle has Newcastle I think so many times I've said this season they've looked resolute but then they collapse at the end um, yeah, yeah one Chef- moment isn't it yeah, that, yeah. that lap in concentration or, mm-hmm. as you say a bit of tiredness and that they, they maybe don't stretch as much or mm-hmm. take that extra couple of steps 
Yeah, and it is particularly impressive because I so say we had um, a gentleman who represented. I think his Halley's name was. He was representing Sheffield United on on the pre-season previews, and uh, I say, and me and Dave made a little bit of a joke about you know he, he went on about these overlapping centre backs and stuff like that. And me and Dave made a bit of a joke like, well, you know, what's an overlapping centre back and whatever. But then after the um, after the Arsenal game, Sky showed like the heat map for their centre backs. And you would genuinely think that their centre back, they were showing the heat map for their full backs. Because it Whoa. was all up and down the side of the pitch. And like, and then suddenly this overlapping centre back, because I've, I've not watched Sheffield United that much, and whatever, this overlapping centre back thing that, you know, we'd be having a little bit of fun of it, uh, with, and it made, made a lot of sense. And it, it's re- a really surprising system, you know. And so that makes it even more impressive that they're, they're keeping up their fitness levels to cover each other and to defend at the back when their centre backs are getting up and down the pitch as much. So, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, was, I was very impressed with them against Liverpool mm-hmm. earlier in the season. Yeah, I was going to well, say, so. you, you guys had to like work to get a result. It was only yeah. due to an error there as well. So. You know, so I know Arsenal fans have made a big deal about losing to them, and and uh, yeah, you know, it is it is demoralising. But yeah, they're a, they're, they're a very well drilled team, and we will lose against lesser teams than than that this season, I imagine. Um, but talking about teams who might struggle to stay in the Premier League, uh, Brighton took on Everton at the Amex Stadium. Uh, amazing! This was voted the game of the day at the weekend. Uh, Brighton coming away three-two winners thanks to a late uh, Lucas Dignate on goal. Um, oh, that must have been horrible for him. Um, but yeah, VAR got involved again in this one, uh, Ever- and this also leaves Everton two points off the relegation zone. Uh, Marco Silva must be bricking it. Um, and weirdly, for all the talk we've had about Brighton looking better this season, this is their lowest, well, up until this game, obviously, this is their lowest points tally at this part of the time of the season in the Premier League. Uh, I'm not, I'm not too surprised by that, which is strange. But yeah, because I, I know, I, I know, they, I know they've not had a great run of results, but they've played much better football. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've been very efficient um, mm-hmm. since they've come up. Especially at the start of the season, yep. they kind of ran away till Christmas time, got their 40 points, and then that was when they became lackluster, I feel, in previous seasons. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's what always felt like in my head. Mm-hmm. By January, you know, they were always safe. They had got their, that mythical 40-point, you know, number. Yeah. And then that they kind of just... I'm sure there was one season, they maybe won two in the last 15 games. Yeah, I think I, I think it was their wrong. I think it was their first season. I think, uh, but I do remember yeah. them having not not great runnings and stuff. I think last season, even after they were safe, their their form wasn't wasn't well towards the end. Yeah, when other teams were going down around them, their form wasn't great. Uh, I think it was. The, I think them and Spurs had like the worst records. Yes, that's right. At yeah, one point. Same time. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but I, I, I was just surprised because yeah, that's the thing, and because they've played entertaining football, it's it's difficult not to think of them having a good season. But yeah, when I saw that start, out, it was uh, yeah. it, it was really interesting. Uh, talking of things that were that were surprising, uh, Richarlison scored a header. Um, that was this was after Pascal Gross' superb free kick, which was also mm-hmm. Brighton's first free kick scored in the Premier League, a direct free kick. Which yeah, it was a good free kick. Obviously, Jordan Pickford should have saved it. Though, yeah, it was on his side. It was right at T Rex arms. Um, most goalkeepers are just standing there catching it. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I say, Richard scored a header, which was later given as a Webster own goal. Um, oh, God, this hurts. Dominic Calvert lewin scored a great goal. <laughs> it, it was so impressive. I saw this goal, and I expected tweets from people. Um, it was it was a great ball through. It was a great touch and finish. So obviously he's been listening to the show and has take he's got he's got some of my quotes on the wall in the dressing room, and he's using them as inspiration. And this is exactly what I anticipated. So uh, thank you, Dominic, for uh, yeah for doing that. Uh, I can't wait till you don't score now for the next nine weeks. Uh, but yeah, no, absolute credit where credit is It was a great finish. Do you see it? Yeah, it was very good. Left left foot across the goalkeeper took it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he played the ball. It was a very good ball. Very uh, nice. Oh, I can't remember now. It's definitely weird, but um, I mean, Everton were looking really good up until this point. Yeah, yeah. Until, nice. that, until that goal went in, <laughs> yeah, weirdly, you know, comfortable in the better team. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, I say I saw this goal and I thought that's not Dominic Calvert Lewin, is it? Like, he doesn't score those types of goals. Um, but I, I've always said he he's more than likely capable of that once he you know once he progresses a bit. You know if he can do that week in week out, brilliant. I just don't think he can. Um, but yeah, uh, then the controversial moment, and again I say Everton imploded. VAR get involved here. Um, I'd be very interested to hear your opinion on this. Uh, so uh, Michael Keane was punished for stepping on Aaron Connolly's foot stroke ankle. Um, when at no point was he looking at the player, he was literally just watching the ball. And these are the sort. Surely these are the sorts of comings together you see constantly on a football pitch. I mean, just well, well, I mean, we'll come on to another decision that wasn't VR later, but to me, it's a penalty. Okay. Um, he, he has. I mean, it, I, I understand there's no intent there. He's not looking at him. Yeah. But he still stopped him. Doing what he's trying to do. Okay, so there's co- there's definite contact. I'm not disputing that, yeah. right? The the thing that makes it worse for me, I think, is the way Connolly went down. I think he could have stood his ground, had a bit of a sore foot, and still contested for that ball. Personally, I know football boots are ridiculously thin now and basically made out of paper. And I know if you're wearing these these thin boots, it, it does it will hurt when someone stands on you. And obviously, yeah, my foot wasn't there and whatever. But I, I think he made a meal of it, which made it makes it worse. I think if he'd have just gone, maybe if he'd have just gone down and then been like, "Oh, is that not a penalty?" There'd have been a bit. It, people would have been a bit more forgiving of it being given but the like his, his legs he almost went over his head he flipped himself <laughs> in the air it, that it, much it's one of those i mean i mean who are we to say where he's, he's caught him you know mm-hmm. how hard it, the weight of michael Keane coming down at his foot i mean he, he might have had an extra extra chicken at lunchtime yeah yeah maybe um, but I, I think it's the one thing we'll never clear up is is the way is the reaction of players um, to things because until we start seeing fouls given mm-hmm. for staying on your feet and contesting because if he stays up and contests and lose the ball, there's apparently going to be given. Mm. But but is it a clear and obvious error? Because obviously the referee didn't give this. See, this is the this is the tricky part. And again, it's we need to define and. Now, now, this is going to sound really silly because clear and obvious is there, but we need to know what they're looking for as a clear and obvious error. Mm-hmm. Because I think at the start of the season, what everybody assumed, if a penalty is given or not given, and VAR looks at it and it 
turns out that it should have been either way, the opposite way, mm-hmm. then that's a clear and obvious error because it shouldn't have been that decision. Yeah. To me, if you're looking at it that way, there is no more clear and obvious than a penalty given that shouldn't have been given. Well, you change it because that's a massive difference in a game. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm looking at it from the referee's side. Like, I can see why a referee's given a decision, mm-hmm. even if it hasn't been the right decision. So has the referee made a clear and obvious error? Well, yes, because it shouldn't have been a penalty. But from where he's seen it, and again, it comes back to looking at screens, communication, and giving the referee further information for his job. Yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. It's one of those decisions that I think some referees would give it, some referees wouldn't. Because you're not arguing there's contact there at all, but yeah, I just don't see how how it's a clear and obvious error because it's the referee hasn't given it, he hasn't judged it to be a foul. He's he's not dismissing that there was contact. I don't think because there's a lot of time there's contact when but when it's not a foul. If you know what I mean, we'll come on to that in one of the games that we talk about in a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, this because all you hear when it's, it's always around these penalty decisions is this clear and obvious error rule and stuff. But yeah. it's not clear and obvious when a clear and obvious error has occurred. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that's the big. I think the biggest thing for all us fans is the not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, not having a clear, like, list or a clear, you know, rule set that consistency level and that we're going by with VR. And, I mean, this seems to be the biggest talking point of the whole season is the is referees are fine this, not fine this season, but, you know, they're not getting as much grief. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not under the microscope as much. Which well, I well, well not, not, not the ones on the pitch, what? anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, this is what... And then, again, it comes back to just what we, we keep saying is we would just like some more transparency. Yeah. And the referee's looking at the screens because, again, it's not about criticising the referee. Um, it's just about giving them further information to do their job. Like, any person in any walk of life, to whatever job they're doing, you want as much information as you can to do your job properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I so say I find it. Say we'll talk about it now because I say VAR is coming up in all, practically every game going forward now. I think, um, but yeah, the, the fans have no idea what's happening. I think if the referees go into the monitor a little bit more, that would help the fans understand understand that there's something that needs to be checked rather than just yeah just watching the referees standing on the pitch talking to the players, waiting for someone in his ear to go yeah that was a penalty and stuff like that. Um- you said last week that there were two teams who didn't have a screen. Yes. Um, why Why aren't the, the FA, um, UEFA, FIFA, whatever, mm-hmm. um, ordering these teams to get a screen? But I think one of them's Man United and they have nowhere to put it. So obviously this is the big screen, not the VAR screen, because that's like mm-hmm. a little wall-y thing that they comes in on wheels um, and stuff. But yeah, I, I, I think the argument Man United have made is there's nowhere they can actually put one, which I find ridiculous because I have seen in the past, I think uh, smaller clubs have generally done it during FA Cup games when they've drawn big teams at home and whatever. You can get big screens on wheels Yeah, that they wheel into the they corner. Have, they could have, surely they could have something somewhere so that the referee doesn't even have to leave the pitch to go and watch a screen. Yeah. And he can watch it from his position on the park. Well, yeah. If, if that's the, you know, if that's if this is what they're trying to avoid, you know, referees leaving the park and taking 
you know, that time to walk over, watch it, mm-hmm. walk back on, make the decision. If the, I have no idea of but, but I don't get I don't get why that would be the case. I can't remember that that can't be the case surely because surely because then because then like we've had a World Cup where it was used effectively. But oh, I'm wondering if that's why because the, the the biggest complaint I heard in the World Cup was obviously the time that it took. Yeah, but then again, I'm wondering if that's the reasoning? I don't think the time can be a factor because I think in the time the time in the Arsenal game which we'll come on to the one of the decisions there took over two and a half minutes yes yes I've so, so one, you, yeah. you can't say uh, they, they, I don't think they can argue the time but the the Bundesliga uses VAR where the referees run off and check uh, the MLS use it where they run off and check um, you know so Personally, I don't think them watching it on the pitch would be great because they'd have all the players around them. So yeah. imagine well, that's what you want. You want, yeah. you need to watch it on their own. Way, yeah. yeah, and, that, and right. that's what I it guess. is. Yeah, not carry on. Yeah, and that, and that's what it is. I, I I like the idea they can just go to the side of the pitch, have a quick look at a monitor with no one around them, have a look and come back. And nine times out of ten, you see them. They go to that side of the pitch. I've watched some videos on on on, on YouTube of VAR decisions on the Bundesliga. Just see how they do it and stuff. Nine times out of ten, the referee trots over while the while he's being told there's a VAR review going on. He's still on the pitch, and but he, you'll see him generally to make his way towards the the side of the pitch naturally anyway. And then he seems to get something in his ear. He then runs over to the side of the pitch, has a quick look at the screen. Uh, they show him the footage, and he can ask them to rewind it in them, like they did in the World Cup. And he's there a couple of seconds, and he's literally coming away. And then, he, and then the decision is, is made. Um, I, I really don't get it. I really don't. I don't. I don't. I, do they have to pay every time they use those screens, and it's really expensive? Or you know, has he not got fifty p for the meter? It's 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 just weird. I, I agree with you. I mean, it just it adds credibility to the, to the decision. Yeah, this, you know, yeah. And a, and a game where everybody thinks every referee is against every team. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever you support, you tend to think, oh, that referee hates us. It happens every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you've got them going to the monitor, it just adds that credibility. Rather than it being, I mean, I know we're getting told the names of the officials by mm-hmm. the VR, but it just, I just think it adds credibility. And it's, it's very strange that we aren't using the scheme the same way and the fact that we have talking points every weekend with it and we're saying the same things over and over I think that's where I can see your frustration Chris I really can't I just, um, I just can't give you the answer yeah uh, I don't think there is I don't think there is an easy answer That, that that's the thing it's just I'd understand if VAR hadn't been used in any big capacity but the fact it was used in the world cup and the world cup is the one competition that every football fan watches so whether they agree with var and how it's being used or not they've seen how it's going to be used that's the standard we should aim for the biggest tournament in the world uses it that way why do we in England have to be fucking different? Why do we, you know, what is the reductions? Exactly what you say, right? The referee just go into that screen. How many of the decisions that were made this week that have been questioned, and I'm not going to say all of them because I, there's been some very good VR decisions this weekend, but how many of the questionable decisions from VR this weekend would have been argued less if the referee had just looked like he looked at it again on the screen? Yeah, it just as you say, even if, if even if he's going to go with the decision and he, he agrees with it, mm-hmm. it just adds credibility yeah. to it. It adds credibility to him. Um, and it just it doesn't make it look like 
again, it's what we were saying last week when we said that a lot of the VR decisions didn't overturn referees' decisions uh-huh. because it felt like it was, you know, friends and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It just, uh, all referees make mistakes. And again, I'll repeat it, they're not actually mistakes. It's just from what they've seen, uh-huh. right? So we just need to give them the, if we're going to bring it in to help referees to assist the games, to make the, the games, you know, that bit more accurate, because it's been excellent with offsides, as we've said. Just, mm-hmm. just give it that cred- more credibility. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest word I can use is, is the credibility side of things. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I can only hope, as we we mentioned at the start, that it's a, it's a cross season thing, and they're going to run it through the season. Because mm-hmm. um, until a, an FA spokesman or a, a referee spokesman comes out and says why they're not using the screens. I don't believe it's been used at all. No, not once. Public. Not once has a referee so, gone to see. The one at the Arsenal game was the referee wouldn't have been able to use it unless he was about a foot tall. Right. Because they're on like a crane. Yeah. like They're on, on like a little trolley thing. But the, it's like it's like, the, like that thing you had at school and the TV has to be raised up. Looks a bit like a cherry picker, right. if you know what I mean. And the yeah, one yeah. at the Arsenal game, literally the screen was like less than a foot off the floor. It was as if it was just there because it had to be right okay which is so yeah until yeah. we get until we get some statements um I, I, I don't think we're going to have much we're going to just keep repeating the same things over mm, and over again yeah it, it, um and and that's what we need from either the fa or from a uh, referee spokesman just to give the clarity to i mean i suppose they don't really need to let fans know i suppose that's the way they're looking at it. i mean i suppose all managers and officials and you know, club people know. Yeah. And maybe that's what they're looking at. It. So maybe it would be a, a team to come out with a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some clarity is definitely needed regardless. Yeah, now, clarity and transparency is the, is the key word, I think, yeah. um, of the uh, um I mean, I'm still very much for it and think it's a positive thing going forward. But mm-hmm. like everything, it, we need the, you know, the tweaks and, Refining it. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, taking nothing away from Brighton, though, because I don't think in the last two seasons I ever imagined that I would sit here and say that Brighton scored a dramatic last-minute last winner either, um, because I say that they haven't been that type of team. Um, it was obviously heartbreaking uh, for Everton. Uh, but yeah, Lucas did uh, knock it into his own goal in, 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 in towards the end of the game. Uh, but yeah, two home wins in a row for Brighton now, which is an improvement because their home form uh, has, has been one of their downsides in, in recent seasons. Um, yeah, everything, it's just all going wrong, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a shame. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I thought that'd be yeah, your comment. <laughs> uh, the last Saturday... Oh, go on. Am I being overly harsh on Digna, thinking that he really didn't need to stretch and put it in his net? Or is it just a bad angle that I've seen it from? It's just one of those typical own goals, isn't it? You see, like, as soon as the ball went across the goal, you you see it come, you know it's coming. You you see three defenders running towards their own goal, goalkeeper totally out of position, no attacker anywhere near it. You know, you think one of these, it's hitting them on the knee and going in. He's had such a good season as well, so I'm actually too critical of him. He's the one player I've got a lot of time and respect for he seemed to be you know a fairly solid fullback but mm-hmm. I just felt that one you know it was like it was one of those that he did he could have just stood and stopped the ball rather than yeah it's hard when you're, you're running running in yeah. one direction and change, trying to change direction oh, there so we'll give him the benefit of that there 
Believe me, you'd be critical. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, the final Saturday game was the evening game then, as Burnley welcomed uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea FC uh, to, uh, I've forgotten the name of their stadium. Um, what is their stadium? Turf Moor? Oh, oh, that yeah. is the one, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chelsea <laughs> made it seven wins in a row in all competitions. Uh, uh, yeah, Christian Pulisic came into the team, scored a perfect hat-trick. This was an excellent game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the scoreline, well, the scoreline looked like it flattered Burnley in the end. Cause yeah, because they, they, they came back into it late, didn't they? They had a late rally. But they, they didn't deserve to be 4-0 down in the first place, I believe. Um, I watched most of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this, the first two goals were very poor defending. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought, I thought they held their own quite well. They played some quite nice passes. Yeah, I really like uh, McNeil. Yeah, M- M- Dwight McNeil, easily Burnley's most creative player. Yeah, um, very good passing stats, and mm-hmm. which is unusual for a Burnley team. I say everything goes through McNeil as well. When they played against Arsenal earlier in the season, you notice that everything play- everything goes through McNeil. He he's their their big hope. Yeah, but I didn't realise it was a perfect hat-trick. Well, yeah, perfect hat-trick. Left foot, right foot, and a header. Which, yeah. yeah, very nice. Um, I, I, I did love all the, the media and all the fans, like, loud in Frank Lampard for playing them. Yeah, um, apparently, and, but, and Frank Lampard quite clearly made out that this has been his plan all along. Yeah. Because it has looked like he's frozen him out, didn't it? You know, but he's come in, and after the game, he was like, well, look, he had one week of pre-season because uh, he'd been away on international duty. He's coming into a new league. Uh, I've got options in the team in that place. Which, there's a little bit of sympathy for Frank Lombard, because obviously hudson Adoye, who the fans demanded to play last season, didn't. But he was injured at the start of the season, so I say Pulisic probably could have come in then. Um, but yeah, he was like, well, I had options in that league. I just wanted to bed him in. Uh, I think it was being compared to the same way that Fabinho was bedded in at Liverpool last season because I also know Arsenal are using that excuse for Pepe, um, but yeah, the boys, boys, come buddy, had an absolutely astounding game. And, and to fair, he came on last weekend and made the difference for Chelsea as well. He did, yeah. So I mean, hopefully, hopefully, and not hopeful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a this is a start for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as much as we all love our clubs, you know, we still want the league to be doing well and playing some, you know, nice football. So if you've got players like Pulisic who had such a high reputation mm-hmm. before coming, um, it'd be nice to see. And I mean, the same goes for Pepe, uh, as you talk about. And, I mean, I'm sure we'll mention him again at some point <laughs> later on. But uh, you just, sometimes it does take a bit of time to sit on. To give, I mean, we'll all, we all have a little laugh and joke at Frank, but um, it does sometimes take, especially a certain system. Mm-hmm. You know, you players, again, will mention Pepe. I mean, Pepe was in such a fast-paced transitional team at Lille. Yeah. And, and Arsenal certainly aren't playing that, you know, just now. So mm-hmm. it, it sometimes can take, you know, six months to a year. I mean, it's it's easy to be critical because they're on so much money and they're signed for us X amount of money. And we just seem to think, you know, us as fans in general, just seem to think, oh, you get paid enough, you should be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it obviously doesn't work like that. But Chelsea, look, Chelsea, to me, are what Arsenal should have been this season. Oh, that hurts. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've, they've really settled in quite well under Frank. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think of many of their losses. I mean, I know they lost to us. 
um, which obviously is not a bad result for for any team really mm-hmm. the way they were performing. And have they played City yet? Was that the first game of the season? Uh, no, they played Man United first game of the season, I believe, and because the, they lost five yeah. 0 didn't they? Right enough, yeah. So I mean, I think they're overperforming for me um, so far, and they can I can only see them getting better. I mean, the the more these young guys keep gelling together, mm-hmm. playing in playing in the Premier League, it can only be good for for England and and Chelsea as a whole. Yeah, uh, they've scored the most away goals in the Premier League this season. And it's I think Dave put this quite perfectly a few weeks ago. They're just going about it quietly this season. After all the attention last season of, you know, they were winning games and whatever. And, they, you know, obviously they still finished in the top four last season. But they, they were dismal to watch and, and everything like that. But they are just plugging away this season and, and, and winning games and, and, and scoring goals. And they're scoring goals from all over. So, you know, um, Abraham's their top scorer. He didn't score in this game at all. Uh, he, had a, he had a few chances. Uh, and, yeah, the young lads are coming in. Tamori, uh, I, I don't think, has been on the losing side in a Premier League game yet uh, and stuff. And, yeah, performing really well away from home. This was their six-away win of the season. Um yeah, really, really impressive. Uh, talking to Tamori, I know I've given him some grief in the past, uh, but he made an outstanding tackle on Jay Rodriguez he, when he could yes, have quite yeah. easily given away a penalty. It was absolutely fantastic ta- um, a decision, uh, a tackle rather. Uh, VAR got involved again here where he overturned a penalty decision. Um, so I believe the penalty was originally given and then Hudson-Odoi was actually, it was reversed and Hudson-Odoi was booked for diving. Instead, which is the opposite right, way right. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was Abraham, but yeah, um, but uh, again, perfect decision though. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, very good decision. Yeah, um, I mean, it kind of just adds to the frustration over other things, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you get spawned. That's but... that's the thing. It, it, I don't want to criticise it totally because I said there's been some very good decisions this weekend. Um, but yeah, madness. Uh, Jay Rodriguez uh, uh, t- took his part in a late rally from Burnley, which I'd say he scored an absolutely cracking goal. Yeah, not bad for an Andy Carroll lookalike. <laughs> Andy Carroll lookalike, wow. That's all I thought about when he scored. I was like, wow, he's been watching Andy Carroll. He, look, he's, even, he's got the hair, the scruffy beard coming along. <laughs> Same, sim- similar kind of scoring record. Um, yeah, but yeah. injury record. Yeah, really. I say, but these are the goals that Jay Rodriguez was scoring when he was originally at Burnley, uh, when he was yeah. coming through as a youngster. And obviously, you know, he's been to West Brom and, and not had the best of times. And obviously, and they come back to uh, to Burnley. It's absolutely cracking goal. Uh, hopefully, he can, he can kick on a bit. But yeah, I say Burnley. You know, I think Burnley made the score look a bit more respectable. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think it was a fair result overall. Um, it was also Pulisic's first hat trick. In his in his career, uh, and the one thing I found quite interesting, he is now Chelsea's youngest hat trick scorer, which means he's younger than Tammy Abraham, which I did not realise because he's he's one of those players who yeah, seem, seems to have been around for quite a while. I know I know yeah, he's, I know he's young, obviously, but he, he's been talked yeah. about for quite a while in the Bundesliga and stuff. Yeah, I think he started playing. Was he not professional by the time he was like first choice when he was like seventeen? Something daft like and, that, yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't realise he was younger than Abraham. Though, as you say, no, just shows you when you think. Unless is Abraham this, you know, youth like? 
the thing is, Abraham, yeah, related? I think the thing, I think the, you think with that, you think with Abraham is you, you think when you start to think about it, you think, well, actually, yeah, he's been around for a while because he had a couple of seasons on loan. Obviously, he was at Villa, then he, had, he, he was at Southampton, uh, not Southampton, uh, Swansea for a season as well. So he he's had a few loans here and there as well, which probably stretches him out a bit, if you mean. So you, you think he's like nineteen, twenty, but he's actually like twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Yeah, you know I mean, uh, it happens quite a lot in we young English players, doesn't it? Yeah, and it um, seems, and it, I think it yeah, seems, seems too. Yeah, it seems to be made a bit worse by like the the under twenty ones, where you don't actually have to be under twenty one to play for the under twenty ones. Yes. So then you think, yeah. oh, like James Milner was in the under twenty ones for about thirty years, I think. Um, hence why it was like their record appearance maker or whatever because because of the way the rules fall with calendars and stuff like that so I think that doesn't help when you're thinking oh he's in the under 21s hang on he's 23 how, how does this work um, and stuff like that but and yeah started playing for the under 21s at 15 or something <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah I thought that was interesting but yeah as a Chelsea fan this must be polar opposite to last season when they were just dull and boring and uninviting to watch and now, don't get me wrong, they're not playing the best football, you know, they're not ripping teams to pieces and stuff, but it, there's nothing negative to say about them, which doesn't feel right for Chelsea. No, I think, yeah, there's, as you say, they're not, like, scintillating, but they're just, they're, as you said, they're quietly effective. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not both, they're, they're, they're attacking well in, in wide areas, they've got creative players in the middle, uh, I still don't understand Jorginho, but <laughs> it doesn't look as bad there. this season, though. No, no. Um, I mean, it, what maybe helps there is you've not got a manager who's playing the best defensive midfielder in the league in the attacking role with Jorginho playing behind. So when you've not got the two of them together, it maybe makes it slightly, no, mm-hmm. it makes it less obvious. Yeah, uh, and he's got more players who come and take the ball off him as well. So he's well, not pond- he's, back to, yeah, not back to his best. Uh, what we've seen at Madrid, but. You know, Luke's a much better player now, you know. And, I mean, I think the one thing we could probably give Frank a lot of credit for is probably, is probably the midfield. Mm-hmm. If anybody can teach a midfield, like, oh, where the run should be, what you should be taking the ball, surely you're talking Frank Lampard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's he's arguably in the top five to play in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, certainly in our lifetime anyway, and... Well, if you have them at higher, first or fifth, it's obviously it's entirely up to your own opinion, but uh-huh. that's the one strength you would like to think he's got, like with Mason Mount, like Kovacic, and, and even Jorginho, you know, what uh-huh. passes to play, where to play them, where to be, and I think you can kind of tell. I mean, even William coming back into the team, who took a lot of stick from Chelsea for the last couple of seasons, uh-huh. I think he's made such a difference as well. Yeah. Just having that natural winger who's, who's very attacking, you know, he's, he's quite direct with the ball. Uh-huh. You know, I, I always compare him to you know, like our wingers. I mean, I don't think he's quite as he's quite as good as as our wingers, but you know, it's a it's a good resemblance to like a Manny uh-huh. who gets the ball direct and head down, kind of direct sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes that's what you need yeah. rather than like a Zaha or um, you know Martial sometimes at times where it's a couple of flicks and tricks first uh-huh. before doing the, the line work. So yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd be very surprised unless you know these young young players and and Frank has a has a major wobble. But um, I'd be very surprised if they don't make top four when you see how other teams are performing and yeah. 
they don't look like changing anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on to Sunday's games then. We'll be really quick then, I reckon. We'll fly through these. Uh, Newcastle uh, hosted Wolves. Uh, I was going to add something funny to say then. I'm sure I do. I can't remember what it was. Uh, yeah, so Newcastle <laughs> hosted Wolves at St. James's Park. Uh, a 1-1 draw with goals from Jermaine Lascelles and Johnny. Um, I didn't really have much to say about this. I saw, I saw the majority of it. Um, so... The interesting thing, I suppose, is Newcastle's goal was a centre-back crossing for another centre-back to score, which is hugely unusual. Uh, It wasn't from a corner. Um, Dubravka, though, making a a flap, he's probably the politest way he's putting it, uh, for Wolves' equaliser. He's made a few ricks recently, though, hasn't he? And he's just signed a new six-year deal. Yeah, I think I think the bigger one, I'm I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this one. I've been critical of him recently. But I believe the defenders maybe should have given him more a shout. Maybe, maybe, one. yeah. I think he's just seen the ball in that area and thought, I just need to get something on it. Get rid of it, yeah. Just yeah. in case. Mm-hmm. Whereas there was the only players near him at the time was two Newcastle defenders. Um, so I, I think communication was mm-hmm. more the issue there. But it's easy to see why people can, as you say, it was a bit flappy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel, yeah. It's like, it's like we're saying about the, you said about Newcastle earlier about they just never seem in control. You know, yeah. you always feel like you attack them enough, you're going to get that mistake, that tiredness, mm-hmm. and that was kind of one of those moments. Yeah. Uh, like Wolves have been knocking on the door maybe for about five ten minutes, I believe, at the time. Yeah. Um, and it just took its toll, and and that's what came of it. I mean, it was it was quite a dull game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, uh, there wasn't much to it. I say my my notes really. I say Wilfred Bolly. Didn't play for Wolves. He was uh, uh, injured. Um, so they played kind of a makeshift back three with uh, Matt Doherty having to play as, as a centre, like a, a right side of a back three, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of Wolves fans thought was going to inhibit them going forward because obviously he's, he's quite an attacking outlet for them. Um, but Armand um, Triore, again, man of the match, absolutely made the difference. They did the same thing as they did against Man City with him, where later on in the game they made a substitution and switched him down the middle. Uh, and yeah, and it, it say he was he was obviously involved in the uh, in the in the equaliser. Um, so Newcastle fans must might take heart from that, considering they've got Saint Maximin, who literally looks like the true away of two seasons ago, where he just runs and has absolutely no end product. Like this guy, he makes so many good runs and does so many good things with the ball, and then suddenly he becomes Theo Walcott. Yeah, I think that's. That's the comparison, isn't it? That's the one everybody will understand. Yeah, it, it, um, his, decision, can, his decision making is a, is terrible when it comes to a final ball. Your your biggest worry is who's coaching that in, um, at Newcastle now. Mm. You know who's going to coach that to 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 change that. You know to add the composure, to add the you know the final touch. There's there's no senior players there that are levels ahead sort of thing yeah. um, obviously you had Rafa and coaches previous but you've now got Steve Bruce and, and that's the thing he's, he's going to play practically he's going to start every game where also Traore was always an impact substitute and stuff like yeah. that and he was only an impact substitute because he, he could come on and just run at a defender and wear them out basically uh, but now he's well that's it you get them tired and bring on the 
Yeah, yeah, and that's it. He's got the ability now where he, you know he's adding final balls. He's added goals to his game and stuff. You know, if if if, if I was a, a fan of a team and they told me they were going to put Traore up for, playing through the middle uh, as part of the game, I'd be like, well, should we just put more ball boys in the back of the stand then? Uh, you know, <laughs> but he, he's been abs- he's been absolutely fantastic this season. Uh, you know, I'd, it, it's such a turnaround for him. And then yeah, on the same pitch you've got Saint Maxima who. Yeah, just he's 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 it's like must be like looking in a mirror because it's exactly the same player. I I, I suppose Saint Maximin tries a few more tricks, whereas Troy because he's he's such a, a naturally big bulky fellow, he, he's like very brute force. If you know what I mean? Yeah, it's um. I mean, you can the dispend bag on him. I think he was about. So I can't know if it was twelve or twenty-five million, but for Newcastle, obviously both of those fees are quite big. Absolutely, especially after obviously the couple of seasons they just had. So yeah, you you like to hope, especially for Dave's sake, mm-hmm. you know that he um, that he comes good. Yeah, I say yeah. he he look he look he looks he's got like like he's got the makings of a good player, and I've seen people compare him to Espria, but Espria had an output, and I really don't think he does at the moment. Mm, yeah, but it's interesting to see. But my, your biggest fear is who's coaching, you know mm-hmm. that, yeah. and all and that, and the other. So who's pulling them aside and saying, "Look, um, I mean, we've heard Dave's frustration as well because as you pointed out, and Dave said it as well. The, the runs and the work ethic is there. Yeah, that's what you want from Newcastle, and you kind of wish Rondon was still there. Yeah, you know, with him. Because he just seems like that's the two of those working, and Rondon kind of has a had a good head on his shoulder. Yeah, if he's if no. he if if he learns to cross in the next few weeks, and Andy Carroll comes back into that team, that could be a significant tool for Newcastle United. But unfortunately, Andy Carroll coming to fitness, and him learning to cross. I don't. I probably not gonna. The stars probably won't align in it anyway. So I am now expecting at some point uh, Andy Carroll to head a last-minute winner against Arsenal from a cross by Saint Maxima. Just the way to say when is the Arsenal Newcastle game? Because yeah. that is a bet for somebody. Yeah, right yeah. I'm, 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 I'm waiting for that to happen because that's usually how, the, how these things go. But yeah, there, there wasn't much else to talk about in this game. Uh, Sean Langstoff was, was sent off a straight red card uh, for a high tackle. Uh, absolutely no need for VAR. Absolutely no argument from the player. I think he knew as soon as he made the tackle that he was going off. Um, yeah. so, so that's a shame for him because obviously he'll miss a couple of games now. Uh, maybe John Joe Shelby will get some game time. Uh, yeah, it's kind of strange what's happening with him, isn't it? I mean, well, we don't know what's happening behind the scene, but that's the thing. I, always, I don't know. I've always had a soft spot about Shelby. And, yeah, uh, I like him. He's a very good player, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's obviously more to it, as we've seen at most clubs this season, where their most creative player can't get into the team. <laughs> Shall we go there next then? Uh, which where are we going? Come on, let's let's just go go to the Arsenal game. You that's the say, oh, fucking hell. I was at least going to talk about Norwich first. Uh, right, I'm going to make this really, really quick because I'm not ranting and I've got two more games to go and I'm, I'm running out of fucking puff. Uh, yeah, so Arsenal hosted everyone's bogey team, Crystal Palace at the Emirates. Uh, 
Lacazette came back in. Yay, I didn't notice. Um, interesting enough, this Crystal Palace team has a massive pedigree scoring against Arsenal. How's this for a fact? I won't take the credit for it. It was on match of the day. Patrick Van Arnold was the only Crystal Palace player who wasn't playing in goal. Um, so, to have not scored against Arsenal in their career, that's a weird stat. Uh, but being nine a, of that eleven had scored against Arsenal previous. Yes, and to be fair, the way we're playing, oh. if someone had told me that Wayne Hennessy had got one at some point, uh, I, w- <laughs> I, I would have believed you. But yeah, that's a mad, that's a mad stat, especially when you look at that eleven as well. When you got like MacArthur and stuff like that in it, you know, oh, it's, it's just depressing. How bad was Patrick Van Hal? <laughs> I know, yeah, because he's one of their more attacking players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely madness that was. And as soon as I saw that stat, I was like, "Oh, great!" So is Van? I wouldn't be surprised if Van Aert just scored in that game. Yeah, even Jordan Ayew, who scored in this game, had scored past us before. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Arsenal raced into a two-nil lead. Uh, goals from uh, Socrates and David Luiz are both our centre backs. We've got two hundred million pounds worth of attacking talent and we go 2-0 up fence of both of our centre backs uh, figure that one out but yeah 2-0 up with inside 12 minutes um, uh, and then VAR awarded a penalty uh, after Zaha was initially booked for diving uh, obviously his uh, reputation getting the best of him um, but yeah it was overturned the yellow card has been withdrawn uh, Callum Chambers did dangle a leg out so you can't really argue it was, it was a decent decision I'm really surprised the referee didn't give the, this though initially because it didn't look contentious if you know what I mean we will come on to one contentious penalty decision uh, not in this game but in in another one shortly but yeah I'm really surprised that the referee didn't give it is it again Zaha's reputation Uh, I'd like to think not Um, but it's it's one of those that I mean he almost looks like he dives Um. It looks like one of those that the, you know, the, the defender has left his leg there and he threw himself over it. But I think when you seen the replay, you know, there was more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was another. It was a good spot by the referee because I mean, it was a hard, It would have been a harsh booking, even if the penalty wasn't given. You know, it would have been a harsh booking. I mean, that could affect the season, especially yeah. for a team like Crystal Palace and a player like Zaha. So. It's it's just a typical Arsenal penalty decision, though, isn't it? Just dangling a leg yeah. out, you know. It, lazy defending. Just it really is lazy defending. Yeah, it's and a so shame because what we discuss about the, you know, like when we're talking about the Newcastle, the teams when it's relentless pressure, yeah, and they can't hold on. You know, that's like the sort of one that they make, and and it's what we see from Arsenal very regularly. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Shame as well. Chambers has had a really good season so far. He's, you know, he's still keeping Bellerin out of the team. Uh, 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 right back, you know, Bellerin's fit now, so I imagine he Bellerin will come back in uh, next week uh, for this. But yeah, it's a really a shame. Uh, so that got Palace back in at two one. Uh, Jordan A, who then scored a, a well a tap in basically to make it two two. Um, it's weird because I could say the same for the Sheffield United game. I don't want to sound like I'm not being critical, but Arsenal aren't playing terribly, if you know what I mean. They're playing all right. They're having the ball. They're just there's just no killer instinct. Like nothing is coming for the the forwards. I don't think we had that many chances for a bam, from inside the area at least. Um, 
just yeah, very little. There's, there's there's no drama in Arsenal games at the moment, which which is is really really. I don't know what it is for a team that have, are known for this attacking football and stuff. Yes, we play some pretty stuff and whatever, but we only seem to get rallied up in the last ten minutes when we need to get a result when we're not winning. So if we're not winning with 10 minutes to go, the last 10 minutes of an Arsenal game is usually the best part of the game. And it was, again, the same thing in this. And I would hate to see what that Arsenal team were like if you took Guendouzi out of it. Well, yeah, I was going to say, he's, I feel he's your only midfielder. Yeah, um, I think he's our, own, he's our only player. Like, yeah, because you've got... Arsenal's biggest issue this year has been their midfield. And I, I have no idea what Unai Emery is doing with Lucas Pereira who's probably your best defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just said you, you're lacking creativity. You spent £200 million on attackers. You've got, you know, you've got with Pepe, Lacazette and Obama, and you've got three fairly lethal forwards yeah. from, you know, from what I've seen in the past. Yeah. And arguably, in fact, I, I do believe that he's still your most creative midfielder this season. Bear in mind that he's barely kicked the ball. Mesut Ozil. Can't, can't even get a script. Yeah. He's sitting on 350 grand a week. Now, yeah. He's laughing regardless because he knows he's going to be there long after Unai Emery unless something drastic changes, you know, in the next yeah. few weeks. There, There is talk that a deal has been agreed for him to go to the MLS in January, which would explain, right. which would explain things. Um, I'd be surprised because he has also come out and said that he's going to stay until the end of his contract, which I, I, I don't doubt really because no one's paying him 350 grand to go anywhere. Exactly. Again, we I, I was discussing this earlier on with a couple of friends. It's it's very much like the Alexis Sanchez situation. Mm-hmm. Why would you leave? Yeah. You know, unless unless Arsenal are going to pay the wages that the the opposition you know can't pay. You know, say he goes to let's say Juventus for one hundred and fifty thousand pound a week, mm-hmm. and Arsenal then have to pay the other two hundred to make up. Yeah. Because why would you leave? You know, you're settled in a country. You're you're content. You're happy. Yeah. Where you're surrounded. Mm-hmm. Even like uh, we, we get uh, Ozo goes missing in games You know He's not got that Grit and steel To change mm-hmm. the game but That's not the type of player he is Yeah But and he's, he's got he, But the thing is we I don't think we need that That's not what we're missing right now Because we've got Guendouzi Who has that grit and steel At the moment And Torreira Is that grit and yeah. steel at the, In the team Um yeah, I, yeah I, I personally would bring a, I'm, I was amazed He didn't play against Vittoria in the Europa League, because you know, the last I, time I watched him, he was he was outstanding. Yeah, he he had his best game. He came he came in this season after yeah. being out of the team. Had his best game in a long time, and then can't and get then back in. Back out. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's his you know is his Fortnite career taking off, and you know, and he's being lazy <laughs> in training or, or whatever. There's there's obviously something happening, and I don't get it. I'll I'll give Emery a little bit of credit. He's in a difficult situation because okay. The the Ertzel contract, as I've said many times on the show, and it's no, I don't think it's a hidden thing within the club either. The Ertzel contract has caused a lot of problems for the club. It's yep. cost us players, and it's a, it is a massive problem. It it makes it hard for him to get rid of him. There are clubs out there that are interested in him, like he's Turkey and stuff like that. But there again, they're not going to play him, pay him the same wage and whatever. So it's hard for us to get rid of him. You know, he's got a contract till twenty twenty one. So if he comes into the team and does really really well. And whatever, we're not in a position to offer him another contract because he's not going to accept less than what he's currently on. So okay, he comes in, does really, really well. We have to let him go for free at the end of his contract. 
the fans will turn because they have done in the past when the same thing has happened. Or he comes in and does terribly and we're still stuck with a player that we're paying 350 grand for and we can't get rid of him. So I can kind of understand in that way why they're just making the decision like we've got a plan throughout him, force him out of the club. Fair enough. But from a footballing side of view, as we've just said, when we are a team that is clearly lacking a creative midfielder, which I don't think I would ever thought I'd ever say about an Arsenal team uh, in recent years, we are clearly lacking that creative influence. Just just put him in the team. Just put him in the team. If he comes in and does terribly, at least you've put him in. Because we ain't getting any worse at the moment, which is mad considering we're still like fourth, fifth in the league and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, but... Yeah, it's it, 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 it's mad and it's infuriating. Um, I think Emery has lost the fans completely. Yeah, I, some of the stuff I've read on Twitter the last last couple of days mm-hmm. is not looking good for them. Yeah. Um, and normally, mm-hmm. normally I would say that Arsenal, as we have seen, aren't the type of club to make drastic changes and whatever. But there have been multiple stories from fairly reliable sources within the Arsenal, because Arsenal have, had quite, have quite an open relationship with the press in in a way. Right. I, th- I think a lot of I think there's certain journalists who have relationships with people within the club where stories come out and generally tend to be true. Um, not that the club are openly talking to journalists, but I think there's people behind the scenes who are like, "This is happening. This is happening." Um, that Freddie Lundberg. Ha- is ready to take charge of the club on a temporary basis. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Mourinho was seen in the director's area of the uh, like the director's box uh, at the Vittoria game, but obviously, again, you could argue he's Portuguese. He's probably just there to watch a game. Arsenal fans on Twitter claiming that they would love Mourinho to come into the Emirates or out of their fucking tree because I don't think... I would, uh, okay, he's got a winning mentality and stuff and he's won games, but I don't want Jose Mourinho anywhere near my club. Look, I've, I'm a big advocate for um, Mourinho getting back into management, unlike many others. Um, oh, don't get me wrong, he's a I great think, manager and he, he should be in charge of a team somewhere, but I don't want him at Arsenal. I just think the break's done him good, but you, no, I agree. I think even at Pete Mourinho didn't belong at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. You'd have to change again. It's like Arsenal fans clamouring for Simeone. Um, there's a lot of money required and a yeah. massive change in influx because he would o- managers. He would overhaul that team. Yes, and, and he, I, had, he would have to to play his his style of football yeah. and, and his philosophy. I mean, and I, what Arsenal need is a uh, is I suppose. I'm trying to think of a manager who who fits like you know like the way the way uh, no I'm not using them as examples but the way Brendan Rodgers and Martinez all kind of linked them together with Swansea yeah going and tweak you know, it like, so, yes yeah yep. and I think that's what Arsenal need they, they need somebody very much on the on the Arsene Wenger bandwagon I'll like tell, tell, tell you who the perfect example but, would be is yep. so you've got a club that's not doing very well fans have turned on the manager new player, new manager has come in hasn't overly radicalised the, the squad has used the assets that are already there and produced results is something like Frank Lampard has done at Chelsea yes yeah um, but what you what you that that's always an exception rather than the rule oh yeah definitely but that, that that's, that's what I'm saying it's like the old social side yeah 
Like Lampard was a was a risk. I suppose he at least he went away hmm. and managed elsewhere. Well, the, 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 Sol- the Solskjaer comparison is different for me, I think, because it's clear that Man United need this, need that, need that, and he didn't bring it in. I think uh, if I don't think it will happen, and I kind of hope it doesn't in a way. Um, if a new manager came comes into Arsenal anytime soon, I think they could turn that current squad into a better team than they currently are. I agree. And and that's what I want. I don't want a manager to come in and rip the club to pieces and then go through seasons of transition because I don't think it's needed. I just look at the lineup, and I think two or three tweaks Mm -hmm. to the lineup automatically makes you a a much more solid team. Not solid. I'm never going to use solid and Arsenal in the same lineup again. I'll take that back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sturdier (laughs) at the back. Mm -hmm. You know, creative, more you know, more gritty in midfield. Yeah. like Arsenal's the only game this season that, I, as a Liverpool fan, I, I've not been worried about. Not been any concern. Yeah. Just you know, it's just that they're that rollover and tickle my belly team. Yeah. Um, whereas we're like with a Pereira, with a Guendouzi, and and, and even Cabellos, Cancelos. You know, you've got players there that you could build a, a nice team around, which could leave Pepe coming in and out the team. You mm-hmm. know, as and when required. Lacazette, Aubameyang. Uh, Build a team around Ozil, you know. Just look, if he's not going to sign a new contract, you know, you're going to have him until he either plays really well and somebody wants him, or he's going to leave for free at the end, as you say. Yeah. He's not going to accept a lower contract. Why would you? You've they've made that. Much. But if they're going to pay him anyway, play him. Yeah. Just, I I say it's finding the manager now mm-hmm. who's willing to do that, and I, and I think Emery is just too stubborn yeah he, that's the thing he, his system needs to change he's got this system but the players we've got don't fit into it and we have no midfield which mad could you imagine if I'd have sat on this podcast two years ago or you know or going back any season apart from this one really and gone that Arsenal have no midfield it's been our strongest asset in, in years and obviously now the attack is, is, is fantastic when it is able to be used um I would even go as far to say that our defence is improving. You know, Louise and Socrates haven't looked terrible. Chambers has had a decent season. Tierney is coming at left-back and been fantastic. This was his first start of the season uh, in a Premier League game. And, you know, he did all right. I don't know why they took him off. Um, you know, I don't have the concerns I've had previously about Arsenal from the, you know, I'm worried that our defence is just going to cat- explode. Don't get me wrong, they're not perfect and they're not the best defence we've had. But it's clear now that, yeah, our, our whole midfield, we've always had that issue where we haven't had a holding midfielder, but now our whole midfield is, is missing. Willock is not a Premier League player yet. Um, Xhaka, who we will come on to in a minute, <laughs> I don't... We might as well come on to Xhaka because it all ties in. I don't think he I don't think he wants to be at the club anymore. I think he's had enough. Uh, I can't say I blame him because, as I say, I am the biggest critic of Arsenal fans here, I think Arsenal fans on social media and certain fucking certain areas of the fucking YouTube are ridiculous. And I think Xhaka has been a scapegoat for the club, being poor, you know. And there have been games where he hasn't had terrible games, but has been basically ripped apart because some players are more protected 
and stuff like that. Obviously, fans won't lay into the likes of Willock and Saka, who I don't think have been up to quality in any Premier League appearance they've made this season, really. Um, so I can understand why Xhaka would be frustrated, but I'm sorry, you're captain of a club. You cannot believe, behave the way he did. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. But what I'll also state is, now, you're probably one of the very few normal Arsenal fans who are a bit level-headed, can see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. There's not many of you guys going about that I have interaction with on social media. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I tend not to speak to other Arsenal fans because they make me insanely yeah. angry. Because well, the same Arsenal fans who, as you say, have slagged, criticised, swore, cursed everything at Granit Xhaka over the past two months. Mm-hmm are the first ones to get really offended when he says something back. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think, uh, don't get me wrong, he's the captain, he shouldn't be doing what he did, right? But as a human being, I think he has every right to tell for people to yeah, fuck off. Because, we're, we're only human. because if someone came into my work and started abusing me constantly... I'm pretty sure I would be turn around and tell them to fuck off as well. So any of these Arsenal fans who are there serving their burgers in Mackey's, next time a customer comes and fucking swears at you, you've just got to smile and take it. you know. And then when he comes in and does it every shift you're on, you've still got to smile and take it. Piss off, mate. You ain't doing it. We are only human at the end of the day. I've never been a big advocate of booing your own players. I didn't like it when it happened to Mustafi. Um... And don't get me wrong, I think Mustafi's a fucking idiot. But what good What good is that reaction going to do? Xhaka didn't help the situation, and I would be very surprised if he puts the captain's armband on again. And I would be even more surprised if we see him in an Arsenal shirt for the next two games. Because yeah, we've got Liverpool, I mean, Liverpool in the cup, he's not going to play anyway. And we've got Wolves next weekend, who are a Wolves team that aren't, you know, pulling any trees up at the moment. Um, I, I think... It'll change, and hopefully, it will be a way to change the system. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I'll be, I'd like to see how Arsenal and Zaka and uh, other <laughs> players. I mean, I've not seen anything come out. I've seen a, 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 I think it was maybe a tweet or a, an Instagram post from Bella and just saying, "Look, CZ get frustrated that we win together, we lose together. Yeah. We're a team, um, very, very, you know, unit." And I mean, I, I think we'll maybe see a lot of that. But it'll be interesting to see if Zaka comes out with a statement or. I think if it, I think it was happening. It would have happened by now. Personally, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't come out with anything, I'd say he will not play for Arsenal again. I I, I don't think there is any way oh. that he doesn't pull on our shirt again. I don't think Emery would do that, and I would be very very surprised if if he didn't play again. Um, I think. I, I just don't. I just. Point. I just don't think he'll captain the side. I imagine you'll probably get something in a program. Or you'll get an interview before our cup game, or maybe an interview before a game at the weekend, or something. But I think the club—I think the club have come out this evening and said it will be discussed internally. Um, right. I think the only—the only saving grace that he will have is that when he took his—obviously you've seen all this because it was—it's been yeah. on—it's been everywhere. When he took his shirt off, he didn't throw it; he just dropped it on the floor. <laughs> I, I, I'd have liked him to throw it in at the crowd. Just oh my god, they would have burnt the Emirates down if he yeah, had done that. Um, do you know what? Did you, did you listen to the Friday show we had? I mean, no, not yet. No, I, 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 um, I try to, but because I've been busy this weekend, I haven't. Well, uh, yeah, I'm the same because I, I quite like it just because obviously it was off topic, but Ross got a stop to that, so it's not the same. <laughs> but um, Adam made a comment, and, and he made a fair comment. Every time we look at the Arsenal team and we look at the captain, we, we kind of laugh. Yeah. And then 
then you look through the rest of the team and you're like, oh, who else would it be? And I think this is Arsenal's biggest issue, mm-hmm. is that leader, that focal point, that centrepiece, that fear. You know, when you think of the captains of the past, I mean, not trying to dwell on the past too much, but I mean, I'm sure, am I mistaken in saying Bellerin was captain? Uh, Bellerin has never been club captain. He has captained the team. Captain the team. But even even using that, and, and you look at that and you're like, whoa. And then you look through the rest of the team and you're like, no, wait a minute. Yeah, there's there's no one better. No, there is no. Bellerin, I've, I've, I've believed for a long time that Bellerin should probably be club captain. Yeah, um, which is which is a concern in a way. Kind of, but he's vocal. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't hide. He he's playing relatively well when he when he's when he's played before his injury and stuff like that. And he's an Arsenal boy. He's been there for a very long time. I just I I think if we had a Beller in Liverpool or a Man United had him, you know, he wouldn't be captain. Um, and I think that's what we mean. It's not taking anything away from Bellerin. Mm-hmm. Um it's just it's a very Arsenal captain. Yeah, he's not your typical captain, if you know yeah. what I mean. He's not. But uh, when was the last time Arsenal had a decent captain? Peter Cech was captain. Don't think he was any good at it. Uh, who else have we had? I, William... captain, but... I, I would probably go as far to say that William Gallas was probably one of our best captains uh, until what yeah. happened. What until what happened against Birmingham City? I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, when he just sat down on the fucking pitch. Oh, game. But he, he was a good captain. He didn't hide. He you know, he wasn't scared to dig into his own players uh, and, 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 and stuff like that. Um Have you seen Bellerin's tweet about it? Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the whole we win together, we lose together. He yeah, does, uh, to be fair, after every result, after every result, win, lose, or draw, Bellerin puts something out. And even when, when, when we've lost, he's always like, we. He, he, you see him and he's always like, we weren't good enough, we should have done better, we want to do better, and stuff like that. And I know oh. it, I know it's what you expect to hear from a club, but he, he constantly does it. Even when he's been injured, he has been tweeting like, you know, we need to be better, or, you know, great win tonight, thanks to the fans, and stuff like that. Because he is a fan as well, which, you know... And yeah, I know what you mean about he's. He, it's bad when he's 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 your, your your choice to be captain, but obviously he isn't because I don't think he's even one of our five captains, which is ridiculous. We have yeah. and stuff, but I, you know you got you got Gwen Doozy. I would happily give him the captain's arm at the moment. He's he's holding the fucking club up at the moment because I dread yeah. to think where we'd be without him. I wouldn't give it to any of our strikers. I my my thing. I mean, I, I'm not a, a big proponent of captains. I believe it's just a. A token gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe. I mean, for years, you know, Jamie Carragher was a, was really our captain. Gerard might have wore the armband, but um, and and it's the same now. as, I mean, like I'm not. Let's say you guys have got fucking Jordan Henderson as your captain, like. But, well, but, but Van Dykes, you know, Van Dykes are our captain. That's what I mean, and, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's where I as I say I don't really put a lot of ominent on the captaincy, but you know the English press and media and even the teams really just um, put a lot of emphasis on that captain and, mm-hmm. and fans themselves as well so they make a big deal out of it so I think that's why it's more important especially for a team like Arsenal who things aren't going right because you've always got that scapegoat yeah. like you said he was made Xhaka was made that scapegoat and whilst not playing particularly well either which mm-hmm. didn't help yeah 
Yeah, it, it's unfortunate, and it, you know, it's 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 it, it's weird to see how it's imploding. But I, I I think I've kind of seen this coming because I, the the fans haven't been on Emery's side, and I, I think as horrible as it is, I think a lot of it comes from our friends on YouTube because there are. I'm not, I'm not even going to name them because I don't like to give them fucking oxygen. Um, but my that... friend met one of them at the weekend. He went down into the game. Oh. He was in the pub drinking with oh. one of them. Why did he not fucking? Do you know what? He'd have had free <laughs> beer for life. He'd put a glass through one of their heads. Um, <laughs> but because they're so vocal and they put this opinion out there, like some of the stuff they come out with is nonsense. Don't get me wrong, they say a lot of stuff that a lot of Arsenal fans say, you know, the frustrations and whatever, but some of the stuff that they say is pure nonsense, but but then it becomes the it becomes the, the, the vibe around the club. You know, I've never known my club be this toxic. I know people who won't go to the Emirates now, not because of the football and stuff like that, because we accept that we're not gonna you know, we're not gonna win every game. We're not we're not the club we were ten years ago or whatever at the moment. But to say they don't wanna go to the game because people are going do you know there are people that crowd outside the Emirates and stuff who don't even go to the games because they're waiting for those idiots outside to film their videos? Because they want to be, they want to be there, and they want to get on the camera, right? And they know that if they say something fucking absolutely ridiculous, that it's gonna be their, it's gonna be their little video that goes out on social media, and stuff like that. So when they come out and say, "Oh, I'm fucking done with this club," right? I saw one of these idiots yesterday, right? Oh, I'm done with this club. I'm done with Xhaka. I'm done with Emery. And he posted a picture of him sticking his fingers up at the cl- at the ground. Like as if he's never gonna go back, right? That's yeah, fine. If if no. you're never gonna go back, right? Hand in the season ticket that you were donated from someone else that you didn't fucking pay for, and don't tell me you did because I know it's bollocks. Okay, take the AFC tag out of your name and stop fucking stop making money off a fucking off a off a, a, an online interactive channel that feeds off the negativity within our club. If you're done with the club, hand your fucking season ticket in. Fuck off down to, down to Seven Sisters and support Spurs. I'm sick of that sort of behaviour from that sort of fan. Yes, the club's in a in a bad position at the moment, but the fucking the fact that they can t- they they control the narrative and that. It turns and it's clearly having an effect on the club now. You can't tell me that Jacques, this all of this would have happened with Xhaka without with the neg- if the negativity wasn't around the club. How many clubs have got? Every club has got a player in their team that doesn't perform well but plays every week. You guys pick Jordan Henderson every week. Would that happen at Anfield? Well, the fans certainly wouldn't pick him. No, absolutely not. Yeah, but I, yeah, no, you, no, you're right, and I mean. I, I feel like it's harsh to complain it just now, but it's not really because it wasn't so long ago Liverpool were in your situation. Mm-hmm. But we've always had that, especially since Klopp came in as well. Our positivity surrounding the club with players and and such, and you know mm-hmm. the relationship between players and fans. I mean, don't get me wrong; like, there's a lot of hate that goes towards like Henderson at times and and uh, Lovren as such. But, oh yeah, we we spoke know, about it. Like Wijnaldum, but Liverpool fans seem to hate Wijnaldum, yeah, and, yeah, and he never well, does no, enough for them. Seems to be just me. <laughs> oh no, no, it's not seriously. I see, I see, I see yeah, it on Twitter know, as well. But but but, but, that, but those scenes would not have happened at any other club, I don't no, think, because not. that toxicity at, isn't being bred there. I look at. I mean, I don't know if Arsenal have a lot of fan-oriented podcasts the way Liverpool do. Um, 
obviously you're you're always more embroiled in it when it's your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see the podcast and that, and obviously we've got a fan TV channel and a, yeah. a fan, you know, a bit like Arsenal's obviously, but it's not on YouTube; it's on actual TV. We've yeah, got you, YouTube ones. Well. Yeah, there's some big but, there's some big ones we live because it's like the, the Anfield rap and all yeah, of that. Who are the pretty, they're all pretty TV big, and, yeah. Yeah, but they never seem. There, there is always negative comments. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, there always will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but the internet. Arsenal fans and, and 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 they surely must see it because they're using it just to make money, as you said, guys. But it's it's always negativity and it's always that. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? It's just that they say something controversial. Yeah, that's that's all they do because that's what they're known for. They're known for being controversial. But it, it, it that's what do that if you want to do that and make money off it and whatever. I, I don't agree with it and whatever. But if that's what you think you need to do to get get in life, then it's it, it's fine. But the fact it is clearly of now affecting the club, the people in the stadium, and the players. You can't tell me that that's not in Jacker's head every week. That no matter what I do, if I'm not scoring goals from 30 yards and fucking dragging this team, you know, into fucking wins, I'm I'm gonna get ripped apart. Iwobi, Iwobi was. I don't I don't care what anyone says. He was driven out of that club because no matter what he did, the pressure on him was he was never good enough for Arsenal. But because because yeah. he was an Arsenal boy. And stuff like that, and yeah, it it, it 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 drives me mad. But don't get me wrong, like I've always had a problem with them. But this weekend, yeah. it, it it's it's really reached a peak. Some because obviously we've had a bad weekend. You know, we've had a goal disallowed by Vera that we haven't even spoken about. Uh, we've still got two more fucking games to go here as well. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, it, it it it's ridiculous. And when you hear these stories that, that you know that the atmosphere at the club, it was the same towards the end of Wenger's reign. The atmosphere was awful, and you can't help but think it's coming from. Okay, it's not just the this one group of idiots, but they start. I think they started this. And it's like, that's where it leads from, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It really and, does. and you can and people can say, oh, but other clubs have this, right? Okay, yeah, other clubs do have this. Look at Man United, a team who personally I would say right now are in a worse position than Arsenal. I would much rather be an Arsenal fan than a Man United fan at the moment because that team is in a position where it's going to take years of work to get them back to where they were, and because they were a big, big, they were probably the best team in Europe uh, not that long ago, right? Yep. They have, I believe, they're called full-time devils. Right, they're, I think they're their their biggest, um, you know, biggest um, outport uh, fan fan led social yeah. channel and whatever to the point where they've been in Coca Cola adverts and and stuff like that. They are involved in the, a lot of the Premier League build up. Full time devils are involved in it, right. and you see them involved in, in advertising campaigns. You don't see these adver- idiots involved in advertising campaigns, do you? Because who would have them in an advertising campaign? Um, yeah. But Yes, they're 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 a channel who you know dig out the club. They 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 say a, a lot of things about the directors and stuff like that. Because I've listened to these things to compare. They 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 say things about the directors and the, the the glazers and stuff like that. Things that they're not happy with the club, right? But they're not leading an outcry to go to the stadium and and just. Old Trafford isn't a toxic place. There's been occasions where the players have been booed off, but that again that happens at every ground. You know, th- there's not this abject negativity and stuff like that which is happening at the Emirates look how many times towards the end of Wenger's era where the ground was half empty 
Yeah. Show me a Premier League team. Man United could be bottom of the league and they would fill Old Trafford every week. Yes, a lot of fans would stop going, but there'd be plenty more there who were dying to get in to replace them. We've had season ticket waits ever since we've been before, well before we moved to the Emirates. We had five, six-year waits for a season ticket. You're telling me there's not people who don't want their seats? Well, that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, you can soon get rid of the negativity so long as they are left. Yeah. You know, like when they say they would. You know, if we won every game and cantered to the league, right, eventually people would complain that they don't want to go because it's boring. Fuck, yeah. The, the, you I mean, know, look fuck. at Scottish football. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said that and not me. Yeah, it's, but it's true, though. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the criticism now that gets, you know, that gets thrown at Celtic. Yeah. You know, because fans aren't going because it's, they've got one game a season that they care about. Yeah. But, but I mean, my biggest problem with the Arsenal fan TV isn't really what they're saying like the negativity and the controversial comment, it's just the fact that there's nothing positive at all. No? I mean, that's, you know, it can't work like that. Even even your basic management skills, when you're a new manager going in and you get the idiot's guy to manage mm-hmm. you know, you always start with a positive, you say you're negative, and then you finish on a positive, and then you, you know, you call it a day. But, mm-hmm. like, opposition fans are genuinely, we log on to YouTube every Saturday night, Sunday night, whatever day are. To watch it? Yeah. Of course you, know, you do, because it's I, fucking, it's mad entertainment. Fans, you know, I don't see many opposition fans logging on to Liverpool's one or City's one or United's one. No. You know, to, to make memes. The only thing that ever comes out about Liverpool fans is such that I see is fans calling into TalkSport, which I'm not 100% convinced <laughs> oh, that these yeah. Liverpool fans who are on it. <laughs> At 606 and the like. Yeah, because it's all sponsored by the Sun. So, like, <laughs> you know, the yeah, 95% of Liverpool fans are... But yeah, but that's the thing. So ima- imagine one day you tune in at five o'clock on a Saturday. Uh, Arsenal have just won two one, decent game, and they all turn around and say something positive about the club. I don't believe it. <laughs> don't well, it well apart from that, but you wouldn't watch, would you? You'd stop watching. Yeah. And then if we won again two one the next week, and they were like, "Yeah, good game today, lads. I think we played really well." Oh yeah, I th- you know, I think Jack had a really good game. You know, club captain had a really good game. I think we we're quite solid at the back. Oh, a bit of a mistake for the goal. You know, David Luiz fell over his clone shoes, uh, and Mustafi kicked it into his own net from forty yards. But yeah, we were a good game, right? You'd soon stop watching. Yeah, people. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's how they're making their money at the end of the day. But I mean, it's, that's not a great media fan outlet that way. I mean, if mm-hmm. they can't see it, then. Who knows? I mean, what we're doing, we, I feel we criticise in the right way, praise in the right way, but we always try to, you know, look for a pot. I mean, obviously, we struggled with the Southampton one, mm. but every other game today, bar the Watford and Bournemouth, which we just didn't discuss, oh, you know, yeah. we found positive for both teams. And Yeah, don't get me wrong, I've eaten but, humble pie on a weekly basis on this show, because I know I'll come, yeah. out, I'll come out and make some outlandish comment, like, you know, you know that I hope Sheffield United get relegated and stuff like that, and as I've quite rightly said in this show, they're, they're happily proving me wrong, and fair play to them and stuff, but that, this is it. I'm gonna. St- we're gonna stop talking about them now because it's getting too yeah. much. But it's bec- my 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 whole point is, which I, I probably haven't made it clearly, is because of their what they spit out every week, that easily becomes the narrative because other people copy it, and they they copy it to get you know in the media and whatever. But then the more you say something, so if I get up every morning and look in the mirror and say, "Fuck me, Chris, you're young, skinny, and gorgeous," eventually I'll start to believe it. It's not true in any fashion. 
but I will start to believe it. So it become that becomes the narrative in my life, and that is what I genuinely think is what is happening at the Emirates. I think we could go out and beat a team four nil, which a four nil result is a rarity in the Premier League, really, and stuff. But I think we could we could generally go out there and beat a team four nil, and we could put a decent run of results together. There will always be, but then, but then the narrative will still as long as that sort of thing is happening around the Emirates, will still be negative. There will always be something. Which, yeah, I yeah. feel Arsenal could win 4-1 against Liverpool on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, but it'll only be the, it's, it's only the Caribou Cup. It'll be the one. Uh, yeah, or it'll be the one goal you can see. The folks, you know, might come from a mistake or... Yeah. You know, just a silly goal you can see and that's what... They, yeah. And, and yeah, it's just negativity breeds negativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just just as much as positivity breeds positivity. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's very easy to to label it by. And yeah, Arsenal. I say Arsenal fans, but I sometimes wonder if they are fans and not just there for the for the career. But I was generally convinced uh, they were Spurs fans at one point. Well, that's what it feels like. I mean, <laughs> I I feel the same about Arsenal fan TV. The same way people always highlight the videos about Liverpool fans on Talksport. I always feel like it's Everton fans on the wind-up, same way as I, I believe that channel has got sports fans infiltrating it, just you know, just to wind it up even more. Yeah, Rob in his big mansion with his uh, Spurs shirt. <laughs> right, let's make it really, really quick then. Uh, I'll ask your opinion on the uh, Socrates goal that was disallowed, because I feel like we haven't discussed the game fairly, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think I ever discuss Arsenal well on this podcast. Uh, yeah, what do you make of it? Ruled out because due to a push uh, by Can- um so Callum Chambers made a push on uh, Milojovic, apparently. I think um, I felt could have been given either way there. Yeah, but there was, uh, again, there was, I don't think there was anything clear and obvious. No, again, yeah, that's that clear and obvious. I mean, the referee on Sky Sports News tonight said there was no foul given. Yeah. Uh, well, there shouldn't have been a foul given. I feel it was one of those, there was many a foul that all happened at once. Yeah. Um, it probably was one. It's one you could have either, yeah, the referee could have gave the foul just mm-hmm. because it was like, look, let's just rule out any, just give a free kick and you know blow away before the goal's even scored. Yeah, sort of thing. Um, I, I was surprised that VAR overturned it. Yeah, way. right. Come on, get away from that. Let, let's wrap up really quickly with these last two games oh. if we can. Uh, Norwich hosted Man United. Uh, Scott McTominay scored Manchester United's two thousandth Premier League goal. I believe they are the first team to achieve that, uh, which is no, right. no real surprise. Uh, weird that it was Scott McTominay that scored it. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it was. Good. It was. Uh, I believe Scott McTominay was given man of the match as well, which I was a bit surprised about because I thought Rashford was outstanding uh, from what yeah. I saw. Uh, United missed That's two. Pen- two. Yeah, Rashford missed two. Well, United missed two penalties. Uh, both were yeah. awarded by VAR. The first one. Even Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said it shouldn't have been a penalty. Uh, Daniel James leaning in. Uh, and it's not the first time he's done it this season, weirdly. He does have a few tricks that he likes to repeat, doesn't he? Uh, cutting in from the left and shooting. <clears throat> um, uh, the second was an absolutely fantastic decision, though, with a handball. We can't, well, in midair. Uh, obviously, the referee, I don't think he originally gave the penalty. I think he gave a free kick. He didn't, no. He gave a corner. Oh, did, did he? I, I thought he'd given the free kick. Okay, but uh, yeah. Shoot the corner he'd given. Okay, but either way, fantastic decision. That's what VR is for. D- d- you know, yeah, it's no argument. New law change this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, re- really, really, really good decision. Um, so, you know, glad to glad to see that. Uh, Poor penalties, though, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, yeah, yeah. Favorite, but... uh, a bit sloppy. Who took the second one? Was it Martial? 
Martial took the second I one, yeah, so, yeah. Long before he, he scored in the end. Obviously, his goal was very good as well. The yeah. play by Rashford. Yeah, so uh, Rash- yeah, Rash- Rashford's penalty was penalties. poor. Uh, Solskjaer did state in his post-match interview that he thought both penalties should have been retoken uh, for Tim Krull coming off his line. Uh, in a way, I kind of agreed with him, especially with the Rashford one. But v- yes. after it was scored, VAR checked. Because apparently, I didn't know this, that VAR checks every penalty now to see if the keeper yes. comes off the line. I know they did this in the Women's World Cup, but they stopped doing it, didn't they? But, no. Because the controversy behind the re- it. Yeah, but they didn't show you the replay. Now, what I will say is, what people don't realise, your your feet don't have to be on the line. Mm-hmm. One foot just needs to be the same way as the ball is. It can be in the air. Okay. So long as part of that foot is on the line. Oh, like, okay. Not one bit, you know, so the line goes all the way up to the crossbar. Yeah, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So as long as his foot is in that area, mm-hmm. so if he's jammed up, as long as his foot is in that line, yeah, it's okay. Okay, because yeah, with the with the rash of what he, he he still looked like he came forward a little bit though. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, that's what I'm saying. I've not seen the replay, but I'm just that's the only thing with VAR checking it. Without okay. seeing a replay of the like the but, VAR. Check, okay, but uh, but I think if it's part, if you're saying it's part of his foot counts as well, yeah, then yeah, then I think yeah, maybe maybe a millimeter or so might be. But yeah, okay, that, that's all it needs to be. Ah, that's but I think people forget that people think we keep out. Like feet have to be yeah, feet have to be planted on the line, and you know that's impossible for a goalkeeper, really. Yeah, stand like a stretch out as far as you want, and if mm-hmm. you want as much, with your foot pointed back into the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you've got no room then to dive, so but yeah. you know there. So that I mean, that's my only understanding because it did look like in the first instance that the, the goalkeeper was 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 off his line, but I can only imagine that was that was the ruling by VAR. Yeah, so Tim uh, Tim Krull proved, though, that he can save more than just penalties uh, when he made a, a brilliant point-blank save for Martial, pretty much. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, it was, I think it was before... I think, I think the game was nil-nil at the time. Right. Uh, uh, Rashford flicked a corner on his chest in that arrogant way that he has. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and Martial like, put, put it towards goal and, and Krull just batted it away. I think it might have led... On, uh, led to the corner that Man United's no it can't be I'm talking nonsense ignore that bit um, but yeah no, it was an absolutely fantastic goal um, Rashford's second uh, well his first goal but Man United's second fantastic the the ball from Daniel James brilliant to stay on side brilliant the touch brilliant and the finish brilliant Like I, I criticise Marcus Rashford quite a bit because I think he's a, a you know a bit of an arrogant plonker, but yeah, he, absolutely brilliant. And then he set up uh, Martial's goal as well with a nice little flick. Nice chip from Martial. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Obviously, I know Martial is in and out of the Man United team, but on match of the day yesterday, they showed um, uh, the his their stats with and without him. Uh, they win seventy seven percent of games with him in the team, and they only win twenty eight percent without him. Wow. That's quite a difference. That's that's quite a difference in it, you know. And I wouldn't have thought it was so high, but yeah, I mean, he definitely had such a different dimension to him. Yeah, and a different threat when he plays. And I'm, I, I'm very high on Montreal. Yeah, I, I really like him. I genuinely think he makes Rashford a better player. Yes, because I, yes. I think we discussed that, last uh, week that Rashford isn't that on your own number nine up front. No, and, and no, I, I mean, I don't think he ever will be. Yeah. He's not got the he's not got the the pressing of like a Firmino. Or, mm-hmm. And he's he's not quite got the 
the Obama Yang type, yeah, you know, directness. He's kind of the, the, yeah. They just he needs. He would have been un- incredible in the old-fashioned, you know, little and large. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what's kind of what's happening with with Martial. Like he uh, he plays really well with Martial. Obviously, they're not a little large combination, but they you know they they both move around. You know they you know they they're quite uh, they interchange places and stuff like that. Yeah. And it gives it gives gives them both a bit of a freedom where you know obviously Rashford can drop a bit deeper. Uh, and you know sometimes, and sometimes Martial can drop a bit, but because I think sometimes I think playing a one man up front, if your front man is a creative sort of player and wants the ball all the time, like Rash, you can tell Rashford thinks he's better than everyone else on the pitch and wants the ball a lot. But when you play as a number nine, you can't really come to drop deep to get the ball because then if your defence are all around you, as they will be, as you're the, the bet one of the better players on the pitch, you've suddenly not got an outlet. And that's when yeah, the, the yeah, frustration I mean, and the arrogance comes in. Then I think. I think that's where. Yeah, I mean, if if he wants to do that, he would then have to like you know communicate with the manager and mm-hmm. you know get together and hope that, as you say, with the marshal and like say Daniel James, and that's where they become crucial. Yeah, they need to come in central and be forwards as such because mm-hmm. he's pulling the defenders away and make a space. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. why. But then he can't score as many goals. He kind of needs to sacrifice himself from the team, yeah. and it's whether his ego then could allow himself to do that at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, I think Jimenez is a good example at Wolves. Like he's yeah. the sort of player. He uh, there's, there's been a lot of times recently where he's uh, like, especially last season, where he was the you know the the big man up front for Wolves. But if you watch him, the way he brings other people into play with his runs and stuff like that, and then now you've got the likes of uh, Adama Traore and you know even like players like Matt Doherty who, who get up and, and score goals because of the work he's doing. Obviously, as strikers, you're expecting your strikers to get like 20 goals a season, and a lot of fans don't see. The other bits, but oh. it's it's only because I know because I, I say I'm a 38 man year old man who plays football. I haven't got the legs to be running and taking people on. So when I play when I play now, like I, I'm the player that will make those runs to draw more to draw players away to allow space yeah, for mean, other players. And and that I think Martial does that a lot for Rashford as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Firmino kind of was the the big name player who first started doing that. You know, when yeah, definitely like, oh, he doesn't score enough goals, but. I wouldn't swap Firmino for any striker in the world because yeah, no. of what he brings to the other two. And it doesn't mean he's the best forward in the world. Of course he doesn't. But, mm-hmm. you know, you've got styles make matchups, as you know, as, as, as fighters always say. And it's the same in this situation. I mean, if you've got a player willing to do that work mm-hmm. and it can make, it might hamper his stats and assist numbers. But if it improves four or five other players, you know, that's far superior for the team in the long-term goals. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, Norwich, I said, they've been a bit of a bad runner form. I think since they uh, beat Man City uh, about a month or so ago, they've only actually cons- uh, scored two goals. One of them was today, uh, well, yesterday, f- again, uh, for Hernandez, uh, scoring after McTominay made a bit of an error. Um but yeah, one. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. good finish. Uh, but yeah, they've only scored two goals and got one point since beating Man City. Um, it's weird, especially as they've got like we, we spoke at the time where um, they, they beat Man City with uh, most most of their first team injured, uh, and now the team coming back in, they can't get any points. Um, it, 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 I think we said at the time. I think I was actually on that weekend with you. Uh, I think Dave was away, um, and I think we actually said that you kind of need to with. To beat City, you need to attack them. Mm-hmm. But 
everything has to go right. Yeah. Um, for you and wrong for them, and I think we're kind of proving that as weeks go by, mm-hmm. um, because Norwich are becoming really what we all expected. Yeah. Um, to be the team who really were going to struggle, and I mean, Pookie, I, I, I know he had a good season in the Championship last year, but uh, Chris had. I was on the Friday show with Chris, and he spoke about him, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't even know he played for Celtic. Yeah, yeah, you know, up, okay, that, yeah, played for for a short while. Yeah, and that that shows the impact, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah, had on, yeah, <laughs> that, and, and Scottish football. So I, I, I didn't have high hopes for him over mm-hmm. the course of the over the course of the Premier League season. Sometimes, like newly promoted teams, can get that jump on on teams because they don't really know much about them, um, and maybe that that ego, you know, that arrogance that Man City probably had going into that game as well, maybe didn't help, but. Um, yeah, I, 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 I firmly believe they're favourites to go down. Um, yeah, it does seem like they're, they're in a bit of a free fall at the moment. Uh, one yeah. thing, one thing I did find interesting in the build-up to this: Did you see Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, like pre-match media build-up to this game? No. So no. you obviously know they all meet the media on like the Thursday, Friday uh, before the games in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, Solskjaer came out. And as a Man United fan, I think I'd probably hate to hear this, but it shows the position they're in. Again, which is, again, why I get so angry when I listen to Arsenal fans. Um, But he came out and he was like, um, yeah, you know, I I really hope we can get something out of Norwich on Sunday. And I'm like, you're manager of Man United, mate. I don't think you should be making those kind of statements. You know, that's like I'd expect maybe Daniel Farker to turn around and say, Oh, I hope I can get something from Man United on Sunday but Solskjaer to turn around and say, Don't get me tumble and, and good and whatever. I was just I was just really surprised by it. And I'm really surprised that a bigger deal wasn't made about it. But I think it yeah, it just shows how the mood is uh, around there at the moment. But you know, you don't see their podcasts. I think, I think the win helped that. I think I think it might have been highlighted more mm-hmm. post long as they if they had lost or dropped points yeah. I think I suppose it could be swept under the carpet quite well mm-hmm. it, it did seem uh, to be a decent Man United performance as well yeah they, they looked good they looked um, you know fluent mm-hmm. um, didn't put many many a foot wrong I thought as we said the Martial Rashford combination was excellent mm-hmm. um, but they, they need many more performances like that yeah definitely um, Right, quite and a big January as well. Yeah, let's get on to the big game of the day then. Uh, Liverpool hosted Tottenham Hotspur at Anfield in a repeat of the Champions League final, as all the builder likes to tell us. Uh, Harry Kane gave Spurs the, the lead within 48 seconds. Uh, what I found more interesting in this is that that wasn't the first chance of the game. Um, I think we had this earlier on in the season where there was a game where someone scored really early, but there'd been an, almost been another goal at the end. Uh, yeah, Spurs were a bit wobbly with inside 10 seconds, uh, basically, when the ball went back towards their goal and they, they looked really shaky. But yeah, went up the other end and scored. Uh, I've seen quite a few people criticising Dijan Lovren for, for, for his part in this goal. I don't know what else they expected him to do. Okay, he yeah. could he could have put a bit more of a forceful header on it, but just not head of the ball and the goalkeeper would have picked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, he got a bit of a kick I'm, in I'm on not social media. Okay. I'm not going to defend him. I can't do it. He yeah. could score a hat trick in the Champions League final. I'll congratulate <laughs> the team. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was I was still kind of surprised that Kane's header went in because he didn't seem to he, he just kind of seemed to hit it and then take an age to go over the line. 
Um, I mean, the only thing you did all game, so... Like, well, that, yeah, I, I'm not surprised, I'm surprised you get man of the match then. Um, yes. But yeah, Spurs uh, have been so poor away in 2019. Uh, the, I think the fact that match of the day came out with is that they haven't won away from home in the league against the pr- team that is still in the Premier League uh, since December. Oh, hello, I've lost you there, Ali. Yeah, back, sorry. Oh, there you go. I, was say, I thought the excitement had, had got to you. Maybe it's me ranting so long. Your AirPods have run out of batteries. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Kane tapped in a, a rebound there. Um, Sissoko got through the Liverpool midfield too easily, though, didn't he? I think he walked past uh, Henderson and Fabinho. Well, Henderson lost the ball trying to, trying to pretend he was a dribbler. Um, <laughs> and then he walked past... Well... <laughs> We, we only had Fabinho in midfield. We had a ghost there as well, um, mm-hmm. by the name of Ronaldo. Oh, uh, don't! <laughs> but yeah, it was just sloppy. It just it's kind of the way we've defended this season, mm-hmm. considering how good and solid we were last year. Um, but you know, fair play to Spurs. They they got out of certain, not what we expected whatsoever. Well, not as fans anyway. Um, but just silly goal to concede. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the first minute though you you got to give them that I suppose I mean it's the perfect time to concede a goal in a way I mean you've still got I'd rather concede it then than in the, the 89th minute mm-hmm. where you've got plenty of time and it, as, the, as the game played off I don't I mean I don't know if you watched it or how you felt about it I thought bar you know maybe 10 minutes of that whole game Liverpool were dominant yeah you know, Spurs, Spurs did very little yeah Christian very, Eriksen didn't look like he wanted to be there well, yeah, him, he he was pathetic, and, and Ali kind of looked pathetic as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen the the debate after the game with, like, with Sunas, Carragher and that. No, no. Well, they, they were all debating what kind of player Ali was in the end, um, and yeah. I think Carragher got it pretty much spot on. Like, you're all talking about Delhi Ali as this, you know, box-to-box um, centre midfielder, whereas I've only ever seen him play well that one season yeah. when he was, like, right behind... Harry Kane is like the second striker. Yeah, he, that's he. He, he he's like a he's like a five he's a five side player. Yeah, he's, he's not a box to box player at all. He, he he's like the kid on the playground is the best player in kind of the same way that Jesse Lingard and, and Rashford can be at times. Yeah, and so against Liverpool, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna do too well being that kind of player. No, um, Fabinho for me, he's probably been the best player in the league this season. Yeah, he's he's been very uh, good, and it proved yesterday it was him or Trent for me was. Was man of the match. Yeah, Trent, Trent was fantastic. Now, I, I have openly said that I don't rate him. He was absolutely fantastic yesterday. And I genuinely believe the fullbacks in this game showed the difference. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, we all know how good Liverpool's fullbacks are. You know, Trent, Trent had a great game. Robertson is he's by far one of the best fullbacks in the world at the moment. And, uh, and then you've got Aurier and Danny Rose, who were fucking terrible. Well, Trent's like Kevin De Bruyne playing at right back. You know, he, he has that passing ability. He is that level mm-hmm. um, from a fullback. That shot he had was fantastic as well. Yeah, I just... You know what? I can't com- criticise too many players. Um, oh, do, you want to, do you want to move to North London? I thought Jordan Henderson had a terrible first half. Jordan Henderson has a terrible first half most weeks, though. Well, it's a terrible <laughs> game most weeks. Um, but he really came out the second half and kind of showed why he's captain in a way. Mm. You know, he put his is, big pants is on. Is it me or did he hit his... You know, he scored. Did he hit that completely wrong? 
Well, it, it didn't look. It just looked wrong. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I I wondered who who scored for the start, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was very strange. It was one of those that you'd imagine if he'd hit it clean, the keeper would have saved it. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's exactly yeah. it. But yeah, no, he took it. And I mean, once we got that goal, I mean, it's seen what it meant to him um, scoring it. Yeah, uh, I just didn't f- expect anything else to happen, bar mm-hmm. getting. Getting another goal. I mean, what did you think of the penalty decision? Oh, you, I, you're I, quite critical of Liverpool's penalties. Yeah. Uh, no. No. I think I think I tweeted something that summed this up pretty well. So Aurier is well known to be an Arsenal fan, and this penalty was probably his audition to get into our team because he <laughs> defended like an Arsenal defender. I, I have no idea what he was doing. Absolutely no idea. To be fair, most weeks I have no idea what Sergio Aurier does. I am so glad we turned him down. Um, um, yeah, absolute madness, madness. Uh, somebody who I who I respect football opinions a lot on Twitter. I'm not going to mention any names because she's a listener and a follower, right? But her her tweet was that's never a penalty because he doesn't even Manny doesn't even try to kick the ball. He just gets his body in the way. Um, Isn't that the point of a penalty? I was gonna, I was gonna say you don't have to kick at the ball to win a penalty. He stood in front of the ball and let the player kick him. It's not like he even just tangled his leg in. He caught, kicked, full on kick. Yeah, Aurea had multiple goes at him. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, it's a very clever penalty. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, my man. I knew that he he wanted that penalty, but Aurea didn't make it difficult. Oh. You know, there was there was no difficult decision for the referee to make because Aurier literally just thought, I'm just going to knock him over somewhere. I can understand when players get frustrated by certain players getting penalties or certain decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I can see where you're going with it and you can see, but but this is one of the most clear-cut penalties. Yeah, you can't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't get that. You, you couldn't argue that at all. But, yeah, I mean, my biggest disappointment was not scoring more. Um, yeah, Gazzaniga had a fantastic game, to be fair. Yeah, I think uh, I think he made like four great saves in the first thirty minutes. But no, it was good. it was a solid performance. The Klopp substitutes again. I, I feel like I criticise Klopp, but it's, I mean we won the game. But sometimes he just straights the life out of me. <laughs> he just, I mean, we went in that midfield. We had Ghost, we Henderson, and Fabinho. Well, here's, yeah. an, here's an idea then can you start a YouTube channel and share all these opinions and then I'll buy him a house in North London when he gets sick of being at your club <laughs> I was, no I was going to say I'll swap you for Rosa but no it's alright <laughs> I'll do that deal I'll do that I'll bring him on my bike right now um, as long as we've got Fabinho we're okay so yeah it, it's even more depressing when it turned out that we were in for Fabinho when he came to you guys I want to is, especially after the the Champions League performance, thank you for Oxley Chamberlain, though. Oh, God, yeah. And I love that Klopp still wasn't happy with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, that's the standards we've now set. And, and then didn't play him yesterday. Yeah, but <laughs> Henderson and Ronaldo still get games, though. But, hey, yeah. what was saying? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, yeah, you, you're welcome to him. So, if we can have your manager, um, that would be excellent. Oh, that would be part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. Behave yourself. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah, abs- yeah. Liverpool. This this was probably my favourite Liverpool performance of the season so far. Not just because it was against Spurs, um, 
Yeah. I'm sure you tweeted you didn't know who you wanted to win this game. Yeah, no, I, I agree because I am. I'm getting a little bit fed up of the whole Liverpool, are the greatest team in the world. Liverpool are gonna, you know, can you know the Sky, Sky. I don't know what it is with Sky. Like they take to a team and they really take to them. So it was Chelsea for a while. It's obviously been Man United in golf, like Tiger Woods. Like they have to mention Tiger Woods in every golf tournament going. You know, and I know it's 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 the whole getting people to watch and stuff. And I think it's because we're Liverpool, because Liverpool's fan base are probably ignoring a fan base we've already discussed. Probably the most vocal fan base on social media, and then yeah. the most engaged fan base as well. So if there's ever a poll. On the internet, and there's a Liverpool player involved. I think Bournemouth fans have had a bit of a laugh this season when uh, Harry Wilson, is it, was uh, there was a vote on Port, Port, on uh, Bournemouth's website for uh, their goal of the month and whatever, and all the Bournemouth fans were, you know, Harry Wilson's going to win this because all the Liverpool fans will vote for it. <laughs> and if you ever watch any of Sky's early morning polls, they do these polls usually on a Monday morning, right? Liverpool will always walk it, always walk it. Because they say your fans are actively engaged in, in in social media, not just in a, in a negative fashion and stuff. But yeah, Scott, Sky have literally they are loving the fact that Liverpool are top of the league in points clear at the moment because they they throw everything behind them. Like they were talking about the Liverpool game before the Newcastle Wolves game, to the point even Dave tweeted about it saying like, <laughs> "Why are they talking about the game that's in two hours?" And like before the international break. Before the Super Sunday game that week, so over two weeks before the Liverpool-Man United game, Sky were talking about the Liverpool-Man United game. Before the game that had taken place that Sunday at half four. I, I feel this is just envy coming out, Chris. <laughs> yeah, probably, because you, you guys are playing terribly. In a situation in the they league. would be the ones. Because I'm sticking in about this invincible team that happened in, like, 1994. Oh, don't worry. That's not going to be talked about for a while at the moment. There's much bigger things going on. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a bit weird. Like, they, like it's in Liverpool everywhere. But they, 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 I suppose they're top of the league and they deserve it. And they were really good in this game. Yeah, pre-game, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit like, I'm not sure I want to win. Liverpool fans, because if they win, they're going to be best team in the world and but it's always nice to see Spurs get beaten I suppose yeah, I mean we, we've criticised Liverpool a lot and rightly so you know we've not been great and that's probably our most that along with Leicester I feel is probably our most you know composed yeah. performances but you know without it being outstanding and, and I think that's the difference between us and City I'm not saying we're necessarily a better team than Man City overall but we seem to be able to win more ways than one. You know, yeah. we don't have to. And, that, and that's the thing I think I've seen every every week of this season so far. Liverpool have not played well and won games. And that's what Man United did for years. Well, Roy Keane said after the game as well, you know, like they're playing like champions. Yeah. And they don't have to be. In, I mean, you know that ground his gears saying that. Regardless of what he thinks about United these days, you still know he doesn't like to be saying that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll not buy into saying playing that until <coughs> May the twentieth or whatever it is, and we have won the league. But hmm. but it is it, true. You hear you hear so many times. So Man City will go out, they'll roll over a team four or five nil, and people will go, "Oh, they're playing like real champions." No, I, I agree with like Roy Keane. I think the the playing like champions is going to places, you know, like your Burnleys and your, you know, your Sheffield Uniteds and stuff, you know, especially late on in the season, dark midweek games in the winter, you know, and, and coming away with like your 1-0 wins, your 2-1 wins and stuff like that, you know, when you've not had a good game but you still come away with three points, 
That I, I for me, that's playing like champions. Yeah, I no, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'd like to see a couple more at the four and five nils at the moment. Oh yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I think I think for Liverpool fan, for Liverpool fans, it must be because you know they're capable of it. They are yeah. capable of turning up and and turning somebody over. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like only one player in the attacking lineup performing this season. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and that's the frustrating part because we know it's possible but I mean you can always hope that the ones who aren't performing at their best you know they're saving it for maybe the end of the season this season Yeah, that might be when we need them to you know when other players mm-hmm. lackluster I mean that's the crucial part for me because I even said it to, to in our WhatsApp group as um, Van Dyke I feel has been you know fairly poor this season um, but Van Dyke's poor and he's probably still the best defender in the league and I think that's just the standards we've set for him mm-hmm. that you then get that bit, you know, get greedy and expect more. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, but I imagine come May, if you have ha- had this same performances throughout the rest of the... So there's, what, 28 games to go in the season. If those 28 games were you coming away with 1-0 wins, 2-1 wins and stuff like that, and, and, and maybe not hitting the heights of the the times where you front three of terrorised defenders at 5-0 and whatever, I, I'm pretty sure you'd still be just as happy come, come the end of May. 3-0 ever again if I meant win the league this season, yeah. win 0-2-1 for the rest of the season. Yeah, and there are definitely some clubs uh, whose fans in maybe in the North London area who still wouldn't be happy with that. Uh, right, that's it. I am ever so, if you're still listening, I am ever so sorry. This show you know, shouldn't have gone on for this long. Oh. Uh, and I, yeah, it's my fault for spending what felt like an eternity ranting over probably nothing and overreacting. Uh, so fa- thank you if you've made it this far, uh, and sorry to whoever's editing this. Um, Ross is on holiday, isn't he? Oh well. Yes, Brian. Right, please pimp your social, sir. Uh, Ali Thompson eighty four on Twitter. There you go. Give him a follow. Uh, you can follow us at Man on the Post. I won't give you my Twitter because I never do. Because God, the abuse I would get. Um, yeah, uh, Ross might fire me after this. It's, it's my one-year anniversary of being on the show, and uh... <laughs> so it is. <laughs> <laughs> god damn it um, uh, yeah so thank you very much for listening uh, we will be back next week to discuss uh, all the Premier League games I promise I won't be as angry I'm sure I haven't even looked to Arsenal playing yet uh, so go. So yeah thank you for joining Melly and th- thank you for putting up with my nonsense no thanks for having me always a pleasure to speak to you and that's it then thank you very much and always remember to keep your man on the post